Hello and welcome back to a very special episode of Failure Peace Theater, wherein this week we decide to talk a little bit about some television. This is typically a film podcast, but here of late, it seems like TV is trying to be more like movies. I don't know if you've noticed this, but it is. And not TV and now we're gonna. No, 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 no. Not Storm of the Century written by Stephen King. Not... <sighs> The, the venerable TV miniseries, but just straight movies that go on for hours. <laughs> movies that last hours forever. And hours. Um, so uh, we are going to talk about Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power. So I am your amiable co-host, Tim. Joining me, as always, is... Catherine. And as I said, this week we are discussing the Amazon Prime TM trademark reserved copywritten lord of the rings rings of power colon television series extraordinaire 100 million dollars down the drain uh it's just presented by jeffrey bezos (laughs) presented by jeffrey bezos himself undoubtedly the nerd in his bedroom reading lord of the rings at age 14 desperate to be the one uh, Desperate to be Sauron. <laughs> oh yeah, Aragorn. Yeah, he, was <laughs> he wouldn't want to be, be Sauron, would he? He was. He was desperate to be Aragorn, not realizing that he would eventually want to be <laughs> Sauron, which perhaps is the greatest metaphor of our. <laughs> but yeah, we're here to talk about this show. Um, as of this recording, episode five has just uh, been released. We can't really say aired because it didn't broadcast over anything other than the intranets it released it it is available for people to consume via the medium of their choice and um yeah i i uh Uh. yeah Mm. this is a real mm. uh because i i started this show uh thinking that it was the worst thing that I'd ever seen. The first episode of this this show, in in my humble internet man style opinion, uh, is garbage. Uh, it is trash. Uh, the second episode got better. So I was like, okay, all right, maybe they're just building. They did release the first and second episodes together. So I was like, okay, well, maybe if they're a matched pair, you know, then then that's fine. That's fine. And and then it's just been this sort of constant back and forth of moments and and pieces of, of truly interesting and, and sort of brilliant television evocative of the, the J.R.R. Tolkien stories. And then just clunky, desperate garbage, boring garbage. <laughs> and uh, it's it's really becoming just a. A masterclass in how not to run a television series, uh, which, you know, we are in a, in the midst of a glut of television, right? There's television everywhere at all times. You can watch things. There is no way the human being could ever possibly keep up with all of the stuff being released. So at, at a certain point, you're going to be selective. You're going to sort of narrow it down to stuff that you're interested in. And and so I could I could certainly see this being one of those things that might grab people's attention. Yeah. mm. Well, and like, I guess, I guess we should be upfront about what we think of Tolkien and what we think of this place to start because like there's, there's a lot of discourse about this show and, and a lot of tremendous. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of back and forth 
And just to be clear, I love the books. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I don't want to seem like a douche, but it's probably going to make me sound like one. I love the Silmarillion. I think that's probably the best thing that he wrote. Um, I just love it. It's the kind of thing that I enjoy. But, however, I love the movies. I love the Peter Jackson movies. Yeah. I love them so mm-hmm. much. But for totally different reasons. I acknowledge up front that those are not Tolkien's books. They're movies that are inspired by his books. They are very good adaptations that take the spirit of the J.R.R. Tolkien material and give it a kind of additional layer of life. Yeah. That is required yeah. for filmed entertainment. Because um, his style does not really communicate very well to film. Um No. As much as I enjoy his 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 writing, it it's a it's a style that is really dense and really layered and you can chew on a page for a long time and still not pick up on all of the nuance and all of the detail that's there. Um, so they just, it's, it's never, it, a lot of people thought it couldn't be done making movies out of the Lord of the Rings, out of just those three books. Um, and a lot had to be changed in order to make them. And they're, they're great. They're great movies. Right. And, and I don't want to make it seem like, I think those films have entered into the lexicon in such a way that they are regarded as these sacred items, not only of pop culture, but of the Tolkien sort of visual fandom. Um, And Peter Jackson made a lot of very, very smart choices when it came to his adaptation of Lord of the Rings. You know, he went, you know, he went out and he got the the greatest visual artists that had applied their work to Tolkien. Right. And he had them do the production design on the series. I mean, the was an Alan um, Alan Horn. Was that his name? No. um, But like one of the dudes who had like painted all the the, like the yearly calendars that were huge. Yeah. and stuff like that dude was painting, you know, the sets and and like designing things. So, I mean, like, however, I don't Jackson, think the movies are sacred. I don't think anything I think they is are sacred. to a certain I think <laughs> they are to a certain group. I think to a certain group of the Tolkien fandom, the Jackson films are are basically sacrosanct. Now, I was around when those movies were coming out, right? I was yeah. on the one ring dot net reading, you know, the, the set updates. And I the, was the 14 when Fellowship came out. So right. like just and it was also the perfect concurrent age with online fandom, <laughs> you know, it was yeah. concurrent with online fandoms oh, yeah. developing too and, and message boards. So, you know, and, and there were a lot of people who were really unhappy with a lot of the choices that Jackson made and, and perfectly valid. Right. But I, I think you have to sort of understand that there are the books and, and the books are what they are. You can accept them and love them for what they are, or you can sort of just lean more towards the Jackson side, which makes some choices generally choices that people have come to accept and understand why they were made, you know, so they're kind of moved past it. And, and, you know, they're, they're just going to be those groups that are never going to be fully satisfied. And and I'm okay with that. And, and this show, I think there's definitely a segment of the fandom uh, and, and especially the non Tolkien fandom, people who are just kind of like, I know this exists. I've seen the movies. Yeah, they were good. Who are going to watch the show and be totally, be totally fine with it. Um, because it is visually stimulating for the most part. Um, it does have some decent acting going on here, although that is 
pretty few and far between by my estimation. But if but if you're like basing it off of like season six of Game of Thrones, this is fine. I mean, this is what you expect. I right? think that if you're a Game of Thrones fan and that type of fantasy enjoyer, then this is a perfectly fine show. This is going to scratch that itch. Because I know there's also another Game sure. of Thrones show going on right now, but I don't know anything Drugs. about it. It's it oddly enough, it too is a is a sort of weird prequel, but it is based off of material that George R. R. Martin put out himself, and, and you know you can tell it's it's sort of Silmarillion esque in that it's adaptation of a lot of notes and lore and you know background stuff that never needs to be like fully developed. But here's this little like piece of this story that I I've worked out to sort of know why this thing happened. So it does have like a basis, but yes, it, it too is a kind of prequel series. And so they are getting compared a bunch. And I've, I talked with a friend not too long ago who he's like, I'm just not really into Rings of Power Man. House of Dragons working much better for me. And I'm like, I, I, I get that. That's fine. You know, especially if you were a, a person who had invested a lot of time in Game of Thrones. And obviously the things at the end went sideways. I was not a big part of that conversation. I tapped out of Game of Thrones way earlier than that. I, I like, have, have no seen idea exactly one episode. I think <laughs> I started watching the second one and I got part of the way into it. And I was like, I just don't think this is for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I just It's never a very particular back. brand. It's a very particular brand of fantasy too. Um, you know, like in many ways it was a big trick because they convinced everybody that it was going to be this very realistic, you know, battle between these houses. And then by the end, it's dragons and magic and zombies. And, you know, those elements were always there in the show, but they were very smart about how they doled it out so that people who would normally see someone perform an act of magic would be like, no, you know, they waited until like season three. (laughs) They waited until season three when they were invested. And then they were like, well, I guess it's okay. (laughs) I guess a little magic is fine. A little magic's good. It's, 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 you know, it's blood magic. That I understand blood magic. That makes sense. But this but, this show doesn't hold back on the magic and the fantasy. Oh no. It's pretty it's upfront about from it. The start. And this is um this is based on stories that Tolkien wrote. However, it is changed and it is greatly condensed. That's another important thing. Yes. Before um, we jump in. We're going to have to talk about time scale a bit. Um, so the rights to the Lord of the Rings are also... A mess. A, a mess. Just a mess. Because you have... Basically, the Tolkien estate, right before Tolkien died, they sold the rights off very quickly. Probably as a sort of, hey, last-ditch money grab, <laughs> make sure grandkids can go to college kind of thing which is whatever, it's fine. Again, in a lot of ways, I don't think Tolkien ever imagined that anyone would really try to adapt these stories because they're just too big. And, and at the time, at, at that time specifically, nobody was going to put in the time and energy and effort to try and make these a reality. And I just, like, that's not, that was not a concern because I mean, these these books are old. That's another thing to keep in mind. All of this stuff was written Hobbit a long time ago. 1937. Yeah. Um... So it's it's mostly so the rights are all over the place. Yeah, what they have access to is very limited. 
like, like you they can't so reference already. some things that they, they can't they talk can't about reference <laughs> they can't reference the silmarillion right like there are aspects of it that they can but the silmarillion is not a part of what amazon owns in terms of the intellectual property related to lord of the rings um it's very close to have... them like turning to the camera and going but that's a story for another show. <laughs> I mean, to a certain extent, yes. So what they what they have is Lord of the Rings, that text. Because that's the text that was, that is the license that was purchased to make the Peter Jackson films. And the company that owned those rights still retains the rights to the Lord of the Rings, right? Yeah. And then they have the rights to the appendices to the Lord of the Rings. And that is where most of the material for this show is coming from, are the appendices. So the footnotes is, mm-hmm. is what's being constructed here. And the footnotes in Lord of the Rings are, are not terribly written. I mean, you know, some of them contain complete stories like, oh, let me reference, you know, these two characters, uh, I, I guess like the... Um, the was it Balorn and Luthien, um, like the the love story between the human and the elf that Baron inspires and Luthien, Aragorn. Yeah. Baron and Luthien, yeah. Um, you know, like that kind of story would be told, you know, or expanded. It's upon remarkably places. like reading um, mythology. That yeah, there will it's be like reading like, Bullfinch's mythology. Yeah, yeah, there will be a sentence that references another story, or that incorporates something from another tale um and then there's some or historian song. some person or who's, a song or a thong lots of thongs <laughs> um and there will be like a little footnote where some academic has gone to the trouble of figuring out that story and they'll say see document 147-a for the story of so and so and such and such and there's not much to go off of it's not as no, it's, detailed I mean, as you would hope. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it's going to be, you know, so-and-so did a thing, thing happened, thing caused this thing, that thing was resolved by this person doing this. Right? Done. Because that's yeah. how footnotes work. And and in Tolkien's sort of purpose, which is pretty widely known at this point, that he was attempting to craft a sort of English-European mythology, right? A sort of unified... Because the mythological history of England as it stands today was destroyed, right? We we have no record of the mythological traditions of the English. What we do have the, is really influenced by outside sources, outside places. Yes, tremendously. I mean, you know, it's, it's when the Saxons came in, guess what? Here's the Saxon mythology. When the French came in, well, forget about all that Saxon crap. Now here's all the French. And it, and it all just becomes this mush. And Tolkien is, is as a historian, as a lover of language, as a lover of history, is trying to craft a narrative that could slot into that. Yeah. And, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a concept. It's just a way for him to frame the, the story that he's writing and how he's writing it the way that he's writing it. And, and it's, it's a sort of beautiful thing. But in that mythologization, you're going to have to have all these things explained. And, and there's a reason why Tolkien's work has now become foundational to what we would consider modern fantasy. Guys like George R. R. Martin would not and could not exist without J.R.R. Tolkien, not in the form that we know them now. House of the, uh, you know, Game of Thrones, 
as we know it would not exist, right? Yeah. Because Tolkien laid the groundwork for how those worlds are built, how you explain them, how you design them, and then at the same time created billions of fans around the world who love stories like that. And again, Tolkien would never take credit for that under any circumstances, but in many ways, I mean, like, what he would say something like, oh, I was just trying to write something like the Kalevala because I thought that would be exactly. neat. <laughs> yeah, I thought it would be cool to do my own one of these, you know, but I mean, like what we think of now as an elf is because of Tolkien, right? Before that, elves were little forest creatures that lived in houses and like came out in the, and, and blessed you or caused problems for you. But now they're like eight foot as, tall, beautiful, eight foot tall, gorgeous, <laughs> glowing you know, beings. <laughs> infused with the light of the moon beings right and like some that of, is Tolkien and know? some of that comes from you know the different interpretations that people have given like his books but his his world building everyone tries to copy that everyone and yes I and have not that, read I guess that was my yeah point. yeah exactly and I'm I have not read much fantasy that has tried to step outside of that I would love no, to. I would love to see some fantasy that tries to be different, but I I just haven't. It's 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 hard because you're eventually going to go back to the well that you know. You know, writers write what they know, and if you grew up loving Tolkien, you're going to go back to that. You're going to go back to that Hobbit hole at some point, and you're going to get some stuff out of the kitchen. And and that's I love just, Hobbit and that's holes. fine. That's that's how they work. Uh, that's how stories work, and that's there's nothing wrong with that. And there are people who try to push outside that realm of what we would now generally refer to as Euro fantasy, right? We've got people who are trying to push outside of that box. Um, the Broken Earth trilogy by N.K. Jemisin obviously is trying to do um, sort of, of, of African mythology and sort of establishing new stories and sort of build out of those, and those books are amazing. Um you know, like there are people who are trying to push outside that box, but by def but the default mode that most people encounter fantasy in quotes, you can't see my quotes, but I'm doing it. <laughs> I can feel your is, quotes. <laughs> you can feel my quotes via the Internet being transported. Uh, but the, the vast majority, when I say, oh, well, this is a fantasy story, people are thinking elves, dwarves, dragons, um, you know maybe some scary monsters, you know, et cetera. Like that's, that's the fantasy that most people encounter. And, and that exists because of Tolkien. So we say all that to say that rings of power is stepping into a fairly intricate and for the most part, well-defined genre of fantasy. And, and they are quite literally in the midst of perhaps the greatest modern example of fantasy that we have. Mm -hmm. And they have a limited toolbox to work with in terms of the stories that they can tell and a limited number of characters to draw upon that are going to be like your franchise characters, which is, is unfortunately how, you know, we have to think about this at this point. Um, but let's, before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about the time dilation. Um, so the, the events of Lord of the Rings take place in the third age of middle earth, right? Mm -hmm. Which, is is generally the the sort of period of relative peace leading up to the rise of Sauron, right? Like things so, suck, but they weren't like really bad yet. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess the closest analog would be of sort of like a 12th century, 13th century you know, Europe, right? Like it's the conditions are not great. There's disease, there's death, but there are some kingdoms. People are kind of holding the line. You know, it's it's mostly okay uh, for most people, but things are definitely on the downward slide. The first age of Middle Earth was the rise of the elves. Um, from being blessed by the Valar, uh, the humans sort of falling into darkness, following a fallen, I guess you could say, angel named, uh, eventually named Morgoth that, you know, tries to rule the earth. You know, it's a Tolkien's Judeo-Christian roots so, are not necessarily. This is, you know, and this is a really big here, story. You know? Like it's, it, it's unfair yeah. almost to condense it into like these paragraphs because it's huge. Like this is, immense um yeah and that's part that's part of the problem is that this is this is such a big story i don't know that a television show even as expanded as that format is would be enough space to tell any of these stories properly yeah and what we get okay is is a condensation of vast chunks of time there's a in the first episode of the show, our, our Galadriel in, in Rings of Power says, and year passed into year, and century into century, and then we get, and, and so like I literally paused it, and I was like, wait, what did she say? How long has this been? And the implication is that it's been like 500 years. That's Just a long time. In, in a second and a half of screen time, it's like, oh, 500 years passed, hope you can keep up, but it's like, wait, what? But even with those time jumps, they're he, they're not really getting into the amount of time that Tolkien is describing here. Like, I I just as a baseline, I want it to be said that according to those appendices that they're drawing from, when this series begins, Galadriel is thirty four hundred years old. Right? Yep. She's 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 thirty. We'll round it up. Thirty five hundred years <laughs> old. She has lived for three and a half millennia at the time that this show starts. And if and and what I'm left wondering is 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 thirty five hundred like the petulant teenage years for an elf? Is that like where they're like, yeah, man, screw you, dad. I'm gonna go to the <laughs> punk rock concert. Because that's the vibe that I get from our 3,500-year-old elf yeah. in this series. Um, you know, so, like, that's the kind of time that we're talking about. But the series opens with Galadriel as a child, which we'd never seen. Had we ever seen a, a kid elf before at that point? No, because that's the problem with beings that live that long. It's it's really difficult to show their aging and have it make any sense or mean anything. Um mm-hmm. So this show is kind of making it seem like elves are old, but not as old as they actually are. Right. You know, so I guess before we jump into, we'll kind of take it a little bit episode by episode. I don't think we'll we'll be able to hit the whole thing, but we'll kind of try and get the broad strokes. But let's talk about some things before we get negative. I, I think there are things to like about this show. So let's let's start there. Um, so what are, what is one thing, and we'll just kind of go back and forth. What is one thing that you are liking about the series? Dwarves. Thus far. I love dwarves. I love them in the books. I love them in the movies. 
I love them in this show. I love dwarves. I would just, I just want to pick them up and shake them. I love them so much. <laughs> and Durin is great. And Disa is great. Yes. Um, I honestly, by the end of episode five, if Elrond and Durin's storyline was not continuing, I don't think I would like anything that is happening in this show at the moment. And I know I just swung things to the negative, but I say that to say that the, the Durin character is the most lively and interestingly written character in the show by several country miles and his whole story, his family, all of that stuff is the stuff that energizes, you know, we've been trying to watch it as a family. Uh, this last episode, I kind of just watched by myself, but, um, like his character and Disa, his wife, who, you know, inspired a lot of internet troll bullshit, which I don't care about at all. Like I don't need the, the women elves in this show do not have full beards, which was a thing that Peter Jackson said in the Lord of the Rings that was sort of loosely based on, you know, comments by Tolkien in, in the text that women, that dwarf women and dwarf men are kind of indistinguishable from each other. Like you couldn't tell at a distance. Sort That's of the joke. And it's a joke. It's a one-off joke. It's, it's meant to be funny. This one, they obviously didn't go that route because that. What people really what don't a, like about Disa is that she's black. Also. Yes, and which there's a whole sideline in this. That's disgusting. Yeah, um, it's stupid. People who are like that sense. suck. That's just racism. Uh, but this, the character yeah, is great. <laughs> you can't say that in my made-up fantasy series, dwarves are supposed to be this color. Therefore, that's what they should be. Yeah. Um, it it just doesn't work. Like you can use it as an argument if you want to, but there are lots of people that then inevitably when they keep trying to defend it, they go into, well, historically speaking, they would be white. And it's like histor historically to what? Historically what speaking, there's no such thing as dwarves as dwarf. or so elves or magic. Um, historically speaking, all of this is bullshit. So it, it, just just right. get over Who it. Who cares? If the character was terrible, then that would be one thing. Yeah. The character is not She's terrible. And the actress playing her cool. is really good. <laughs> um, and, they, and you know, I was looking at one of the later episodes she, that you see her from the side. And she does have, like, a little wispy beard that stretches all the way down her jawline. It's just not, like, you know, full-on, you know, dwarf beard. So there's some there. But regardless, um, I, I totally agree. Durin and the actor playing him is fantastic. He's funny, he's engaging, he's got all this life that you would expect a dwarf to have, you know, like this this sort of boundless energy. And and I think his entry into the series and sort of his relationship to Elrond, his frustration with him makes him very human. Uh, sorry, it makes him very understandable. It increases that sort of like, I get you and I get your motivations and who you are. He's great. Um, so yes, all the dwarf stuff is cool. I will throw in there as a side note to that, that we do get to see Casa Doom in all its glory in this show. And I am really and, enjoying and that. That is really cool, um, right? To, to see something that we do know from the books that was in total disrepair and had been overtaken by dwarves for decades, well, centuries at that point, um, to see it in, in the, you know, it's sort of like when they they go back in the Hobbit films and you sort of see the Misty Mountain in its heyday 
and you know the grand halls the you know the the deep mines you know, all of that stuff it's just it's really grand and there are depictions of Casa Doom in this and all of its like mirrors to route light down into the tunnels and everything's very cool like just you know chef's kiss well done excellent production design i'd watch a whole show about dwarves i kind of wish they sure. would have done something yeah. like that instead well as we get into it one of my issues with the show is i think Quite frankly, this first season is just trying to do too much. Yeah. Um, if they know they've got five seasons, and, and apparently they do, like this show's getting five seasons no matter what anybody says or does. Space like, it out a little bit. For. Take your time. You can, like, you can you can take your time with this. We don't have to have these, like, because in essence we've got, like, what, five concurrent storylines running in the show? It's like a real movie B, movie C, movie D. <laughs> like, I right. mean, I can't keep up with everything. And it's and it's not balanced well either. I mean, there's a whole episode where the Harfoot storyline doesn't even appear. Like they just didn't yeah. even have any scenes. But with those you know what? In it. I was really happy not to see <laughs> those little simpletons. I yeah. I guess I guess we should. We'll we'll talk about. We'll yeah. We'll get there. We'll come I have back a lot to, to say. <laughs> um, other things that I'm enjoying about the series definitely Durin is is the pretty close to the top for me as well. Um, I like, I, I will Elf say Boy. that. Yes, that He's is, great. that is the other storyline. Um, okay. So in, in Tolkien's work, elves are these impossibly beautiful creatures. They are ethereal. They are beautiful. They are otherworldly in their appearance. Kate, right? Kate now, Blanchett I don't, as Galadriel was like what an elf is supposed to look like. Just right, glowing. That's the ideal. <laughs> and again, I'm not being a racist that's saying that they must all be white. No, that's right? not it. We I just mean beautiful. That's not it. Just beautiful, like off the charts, off the scale, gorgeous creatures. Pretty much top to bottom, right? And... The elves in this series, for the most part, are uggos. They're just not <laughs> good looking. And a lot of it has to do not with the actors or their physical appearance no. at all. Like it's it's how they are being dressed, it's how their hair is being handled. Like it's just it it some of it's nonsensical. I mean, like Celebrimbor, right? The the elf who crafts the rings themselves, and who at this point is also ancient, right? Like 5,000-ish years old, I think, at the time this starts, because he's way older than Galadriel was. He looks like a middle school history teacher. Yeah. Like, he he has, like, this weird, like, piled-on-top-of-his-head hairdo. It's a, it's a very 90s televangelist hairdo. <laughs> it's, that's Yeah, that's pretty good. It's very Kenneth Copeland. Yeah. It's, it's bad. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's just... It doesn't make any sense. Like Gilgalad, the the leader of the elves, the king of the elves at this point, um, is is more traditional sort of elf in his design. Long, dark hair, you know, long flowing golden robes, whatever. But no one else around him, except is. for Elf Boy, uh, Arondir. Is that his Arondir, name? Okay, I believe is his name. He's yes. beautiful. He is, he, I had to look him up when I saw him. I was like, who is this guy? With, with uh, the bone his, structure and the eyes and just, whoo. 
He's great. His, his uh, Ismail Ismail Cordova is his name, and he has done some movies, but mostly uh, mostly TV work. He apparently had a really he had a pretty long run on uh, one of the later seasons of Ray Donovan that was very well regarded. He did do um, an episode of The Mandalorian last year uh, or a couple years ago, I guess. <clears throat> you know, so he's he's been around a bit, but he um, is you know he's doesn't have the long hair it's very close cropped but he's a uh i guess a wood elf or, or what would eventually become the wood elves um and he's like a ranger who's been out you know sort of def- well basically being a cop to all of the southland humans that used to follow morgoth sort of trying to make sure that they don't fall into chaos again or at least that's what we're presented with it's kind of a simplified version i think but whatever um but he's great. Uh, I, I kind of his storyline, if it didn't also inhabit other characters who are stupid, would also be, you know, one of the best storylines in the show. And, and it still kind of is. But he's very good. Um, gets to do sort of Legolas style stuff. And that's one of my other issues with the show is that all of these characters are just designed to be very, very similar archetypal versions of characters that, you know, yeah, right? Ron Deer is Legolas. Uh, Durin is Gimli, which is why yeah. in in one of the episodes where he gets kidnapped by the the the, the baddies, orcs. the orcs, um, he gets his ass kicked, which I really liked. That I liked that he he yeah. he got messed up. That was nice to see. He wasn't just yeah, taking almost, on trolls by himself. Yeah, it's almost important to show that a character you know can be in danger and and will at some point you know need to rely upon their wits, their intelligence, their friends to get them out of a dangerous situation, or you can just be Galadriel and you can just take down an ice troll with a sword and a, and a, and a, a little panache, right? A little je ne sais quoi of the old, I mean, she, it, uh, yeah, we'll get, okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, we'll get there. All right. Hold on. When are we going to start complaining? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, and, and if you can't tell dear listener, it's very difficult for us to not get into We that. have to say at least three good things before we're allowed to say all the bad things. <laughs> so Durin and Arondir, I think, and, and that's another piece of this that I think is really important and a, and a mistake that I believe that the showrunners have made is that they didn't seem to have issues creating new non-canonical characters, right? A Rondir is a non-canonical character. There's no mention of an Arondir anywhere in the appendices or anywhere else. He's a created character for the show. Uh, same with uh, another character we'll talk about, Halbrand. Not so sure about that name, but whatever. Mm. Um, like, and, and if anything, all of the characters in the show, save for a couple should be new. They should just be new yeah. because all of the characters that we know are not behaving in ways that fit with the characters that we know. Every single one of and, them, when they show up on screen, it's like, Hey baby, I'm that guy you like. And it's like, no, you're not, but you're not, <laughs> <laughs> you're just, you're really not. And, and that's okay. You don't have to be. Like, that's the thing is like, I I would much, I think I would be enjoying this show much more if I didn't have those connections. Yeah. And, and that's okay. So, um, so yeah, Aronder's pretty good. So any, anything else positive about the show before we sort of to get into the complainy bits? Um, I, oh, uh, I really like the orc designs. I think they're they mm-hmm. had some yeah, neat sure. they look nasty and it looks like they're they they're wearing makeup. 
and prosthetics. They're not special effects. That's good. Yes, um, there have been fortunately very few CG creatures. There are some for sure, but um, the the orcs themselves, which are the main sort of baddies of this current thrust of the show, and probably will remain, are, are mostly people in practical costumes, and that is a great choice. Very good. Yeah, but I think that's about it. Um, I'll go ahead and say that I like, well, I liked up until episode five. Uh, I liked Elindil, uh, who we, we do meet. It's another, not, that yeah. is another canonical character. Uh, Elindil, if you have seen Lord of the Rings, uh, which, you know, if you're listening to this, hopefully, mm-hmm. uh, Elindil is the guy that he is the human that, that fights Sauron in, and again, this is one thing that Peter Jackson changed too. Uh, Elindil is the one that actually strikes the blow on Sauron that fells him. And then his son, Isildur, is the one who chops the ring from Sauron's fingers to take his power. It was a so team it was a, effort. It was, it was a sort of one-two punch, right? Uh, Elindil dies as a result of this. Isildur becomes the new king of the Numenorians, and And then he is the one who fails to destroy the ring when given the opportunity in Mount Doom, right? So, um, so Isildur is a piece of shit. Uh, he's awful and deserves the end that he eventually gets, uh, which you can see in the extended versions of Lord of the Rings. And the character of Elendil gets introduced in this show as at, at a time when he is like a shipmaster or something in Numenor. So he's, he's like a, you know, a King's guard. And he shows up and he's got major dad something. energy. He's got big dad energy, um, but in a good way, right? Not yeah. like in a not like in a growing pains Ted Seaver kind of way, but in a, like a good dad, like a Scott Bakula energy. Kind yeah, of and and that has been slowly drained from him over the course of the the three episodes that he's been in, or two episodes. But um, it's yeah, uh, I I liked his character when first introduced, and I am hoping that once they finally like do something with the Numenorians, which seems to be heading in that direction that he gets to sort of come back to, to that. But I, I liked his introduction. I thought his character was cool. The actor playing him is doing a good job. It, it you know, again, it's, it's a character that's got some life to it, right? It's got some, like some, some get up and go. Whereas most of the characters are like, hey, let's just stand in this corner and have a quiet conversation with each other and then get angry about things that, we haven't explained, you know, like it just, there's a lot of that and I don't really care for that either. But, uh, so yeah, that's, that's probably it. Again, I, I will comment and say the production design of the series is generally pretty good. The special effects are very impressive, um, especially for a television series. I think that bar has been raised in a lot of ways. So I, I don't think that that's enough to keep somebody watching a show like this. I mean, cause you know, if you, if you just want to see, fantasy stuff ships and castles and dragons and you know whatever there are other venues for that now that also look fine so i don't think you're going to look at this and be like oh this is way better than any of those but i will say it has a sort of unity of of quality you know like most of the special effects are kind of hanging together i haven't seen any huge just egregious that looked awful you know kind of stuff uh which is, is saying something for a show that has this many special effects shots in it i guess but I think that's also part of an that's you know to come back to it that's also part of the issue is that 
you get these big bombastic special effects moments and then you might get 20 minutes of people standing in the bush talking. Yeah. Normally you I know, would be fine like, with that, but the things that they're saying are horrible. That is part of the problem. Yes. I love the conversation. I love talking anywhere. scenes. I love it when characters take a break and talk. I get really overwhelmed by action. Um, but yes. they have to be saying things that I want to listen to. And the majority of these people don't. Yes. Um, the dialogue in this show is is a problem. There is so much um, fart huffing Game of Thrones. I wrote a fantasy book when I was fifteen. Kind of dialogue in this. Yeah, um, I hate it. It's 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 pretty rough. Um, and it, I think by in the because around the first three episodes, I felt that it was balancing out well enough. I was like, ah, you know, yeah, there's a lot of bad stuff, but there's some good stuff too. And and now it's tipping hard. In the other direction where like each episode there's less and less like passable okay dialogue yeah. and more and more like oh oh god like stop please stop <laughs> please don't say this uh kind of stuff and and it's yeah it's a problem so uh so that's that's all the good uh that we can come up with as well as some background into lord of the rings itself uh you know again I'm fine with somebody who watches the show and says, hey, this is fine. I, I like what it is because I, I get it. Like, I think there is plenty here to enjoy. But I, I think there's also a real undercurrent in this show that it's it's just it lacks energy. And and if anything, that a lot of the choices that Peter Jackson made to bring Lord of the Rings to life in his films was to to figure out a way to bring energy to moments on screen that wouldn't that didn't necessarily occur in the books to say like, how can I take this thing that happened in the book and how can I bring some life to it? And this is, is kind of not getting that rhythm down at all. And, you know, like, you know, my partner struggles to stay awake when watching an episode Right? Yeah. And not like and not for lack of trying. Right. Like she's into it. She wants to see more Doran and Disa and stuff. But it's like there's so there's such long lulls of anything interesting happening in the show that it's a problem. So. All right. Well, let's let's get into it. We are going to to be be spoiling many, many things about the first five episodes of the series. So we are at the, that crucial halfway point where at this point, you know, if, if we're talking about the structure of a season of television, the main conflict should be established. Your character should be moving towards, you know, the resolutions of those conflicts, maybe even already some early sub-conflict resolution, as well as, you know, sort of setting up for whatever the big, you know, either penultimate or ultimate battle of the season is going to be. Like th Those things, if you haven't defined those things by the fifth hour of your television program, I think you're screwing up. Right. Just I, I'm sorry. I got to be honest. Again, there's that volume of television out there that anybody can go watch at any time. And if you can't prove to me that your show is going somewhere by your fifth episode, then you have you done fucked up, mm -hmm. you done made a mistake. Mm -hmm. you, you've you haven't done your job as a person writing television programs. Right. This isn't Lawrence of Arabia. Right. This this isn't. I've got three hours to tell my story. So the first half is going to be this. The second half is going to be this like, no dude, you, you got to move. You got to get going here. Uh, and that definitely doesn't feel like it is happening for me. 
so let's talk episode one. Our series opens in a sun-drenched field of grass, a glade, if you will, <laughs> uh, with a tiny little brook running through it. A young girl with golden, shining, silver hair, Galadriel, is building a tiny paper boat. And as this occurred, I said, is this, is this a Lord of the Rings show? Um, not that you can't build paper boats in Lord of the Rings and send them down a little river, like by all means. Uh, but, uh, but what? Yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> Excuse me. Baking powder. <laughs> uh, and, uh, so she is in the midst of a, a little conflict with some elvish boys now, I, I do want to point out that the narration over the opening of the show is talking about how there was time before pain, right? Before loss and misery, where elves lived in perfect peace and harmony with themselves and the world, right? This is the voiceover that Galadriel, the character we're observing, is giving us. And then one of these little elvish boys living ostensibly in this time of ultimate peace is like, screw you, Galadriel. Your little boat's never got to float, you little bitch. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> uh, what? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like, I know, I know kids are shitty. Like, I, I know that. But uh, what? Like, weren't you just telling us I that elves lived in perfect harmony? Well, I don't really understand why they were being mean to her. <laughs> right. That's never explained. Like, if, <laughs> like, I kind of get it now. Like, I think <laughs> yeah, I will be mean to her is- now. Galadriel in this show is terrible. Yeah. Like she is awful on a scale that is difficult to explain that the main character of this television program or the ostensible main character of this television program is is its worst character by far. Um so she gets, you know, so this paper boat thing, she puts it in the water. It does some kind of magic thing where it turns into like a swan boat. Yeah, it like unfolds, um, in, I guess, as it gets yeah. wet or something. Something. I don't know. It doesn't. Whatever. Elf magic. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't make a difference. And 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 so then the boy elves start throwing rocks at it. And she's like, don't throw rocks at my boat. You know, <laughs> um, so on and so forth. Uh, I'm going to do bad Cockney accents for all the characters in this show, because frankly, that's what they all sound A lot like. of the accents are bad. That is something that's mm. difficult to listen to that some of them are are it's really just the harfoots that are that are bad <laughs> the harfoots are pretty rough. it's really really uh, bad but yeah the accents get a little ridiculous i mean i get it you know peter jackson did this too i mean i'll be honest one some of the cringier moments in the lord of the rings trilogy are watching Liv tyler try to do like a british accent yeah or at least some approximation therein that they decided was elvish um like those choices are not always great, you know, but, you know, again, if you're talking Euro fantasy, everybody, that's how they talk, right? And they've all got, they've all got accents that reference Europe and so on and so forth. And it's like, okay, sure, but we don't have to, it's fine. And so they crash her boat and she's about ready to like stone one of them. Like she's going to murder this kid. And then her brother shows up who it's, uh, what's her brother's name? Uh, it's not Feynor. Finrod? Is that his name? Uh, yes, Finrod. Uh, who, again, is a, a character that's fleshed out fairly well 
in in the appendices. Like we kind of know some of the stuff he did. Um, uh, Fainor's the dude who used the hammer to build the submarines. Sorry. So like, and he pulls her aside and he's like, "Hey, you know, calm down. Don't worry about it." And then he gives one of the. <laughs> Uh, you mentioned the the fart huffing speeches. Yep, because uh, this was one the moment the f- when I started smelling it first. <laughs> this, this speech, I just like went, it was a real one of those like, I don't think that's how that works at all. Because uh, he tries to explain that um, there's a reason why boats float and stones sink. And there was a brief shining moment where I was like, oh, are we going to see like the advanced logical reasoning of the elves that led to the creation of these like wonders and magical places, you know, the people who built these towers and did all this stuff like, Oh, is is this going to be their take on like the scientific nature of Tolkien's world? Like that's kind of interesting. And then he proceeds to tell her that stones can only look down into the dark and boats also look down into the dark, but they can see above and see the shining sun or the light or whatever. That metaphor got away from you there, Finrod. I, I it's just like, whoa, okay. I don't I, think I, so. I checked my watch. <laughs> I checked my watch. It was like, we are less than five minutes into this show. And this is like the core dialogue that we're going with here. And so then she's like, but, but brother, how will I know what's light and what's dark when I see it? Right. And then he leans in and then they do the whole like you can't hear what he says thing because it's obviously tremendously profound. Right. Mm-hmm. And and then we get the and then we immediately we we pan up and we get to see, uh, you know, the the elf homeland because they're all on like the you know, they're in the great what we would eventually come to know as the Grey Havens. Right. Like they're all in like the original elven world prior to Morgoth, like burning the trees and sending them to Middle Earth for battle and all this different stuff. And so it pans up and we get to see that world. Yay, that's neat. Kind of cool. But we don't really understand what's going on. There's no context Yeah, it's not giving us any hint that, like, you should, you know, take it all in because this is about to disappear. Um, So it doesn't really mean anything that they're showing us Valinor. No, like, Valinor being this, this, like beautiful place doesn't really mean anything. And so then we get quick narration, Morgoth arrives, trees get burned, battle on middle earth lasts for centuries, stacks and stacks of elf helmets that Galadriel is just on the battlefield stacking for reasons. Well, I guess, um, and it just like, and then, you know, all this stuff, like now we know pain. Now we understand loss. We get we do get one sort of Peter Jackson esque scene where we zoom in and we see uh, Finrod in the midst of a battle, and he's like screaming for help, and it's very you know fraught with drama. And then slam cut, and then then Gladry's like, and then my brother died, he got killed. And I was like, could could we have seen that? Like, is that a thing? I mean, I, it's not like you know I wouldn't want you to waste your time showing me like super dramatic things happening show. <laughs> like, Instead, we just get dude laying on a slab, Gladriel looking at him, and then the introduction of this idea of Sauron's mark. And and which, this uh, was thousands of years that they condensed into like a minute and a half. Yeah, uh, this is this is um, 
this is a lot to take in and and I guess they just try to um I guess what they're trying to do is just really focus on Galadriel's story inside of all of this, right? That's how they've chosen to move us through this, right? Cuz I mean there this this conflict with Morgoth in the first age is is the first age. Like the first age ends with Morgoth's death for all intents and purposes. So I mean we're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of years. And and it just gets like, oh, and then that was over and then Sauron was still around and I've got to find Sauron because Sauron killed my brother, right? And then go. And, I, and I, I was I was bewildered, right? Like there was there was no time to breathe, no time to understand. And I think part of it's because they probably don't have the rights yeah. to show some <laughs> of these things. Like I think that's part of it. That they well, we don't have the rights to show Morgoth because I don't even think they have the right to use his original name. Melkor. Because he, he was called Melkor. Yeah. And he was one of the Valar, right? One of the, the godlike angel creatures, you know. And and I don't think they they have the rights to use the name Melkor in the show. They can't even they can't even show us who these characters are. Like no, and, not, and their even give representations. Like who is who is Morgoth? Where did he come from? Why is he bad? What happened? Uh, they can't show any of that because that's all in the Silmarillion. <laughs> right, that's Silmarillion content, and and they cannot do it unless it was mentioned in the appendices. In addition to being in the Silmarillion, they cannot touch it. And so I don't want to make it seem like the writers of the show are making all these choices. By choice. Some of them are probably being made for them by very bad. This sounds like a nightmare. I mean, this is very much the thing I've been thinking is, is this is, this is Oz the Great and Powerful. Yeah. That's what this is where it's like, well, you, you can talk about there being slippers made of rubies, but you sure as shit can't show them. Right. Yeah. Like it's, it's a, it's a minefield of stuff, but Sometimes there are those who would say restriction can make a writer better as you kind of write around your problem. That's where you saying like we mm-hmm. would love to see some of these original characters instead. Mm-hmm. I would just be doing that. Um, There's write about people who aren't mentioned anywhere and then you can just write yeah. a normal story. You can just do whatever you want, right? Like you have unlimited dramatic potential at that point. Um, so uh, let's lay out the, the storylines. So our main storyline is Galadriel. Galadriel, as we meet her, is on a quest to find Sauron, who she articulated in episode five. It, it made it sound in episode one like Sauron personally killed her brother. Right? Like he himself murdered him. In episode five, she walks that back a little bit and says she, he was killed by agents of Sauron. Which I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, so Agents of Sauron is different than Sauron, right? Like if if she is on a mission to murder Sauron as vengeance for the murder of her brother, that's one thing. But if it was just some dudes working for Sauron that killed him, then I don't get this. That doesn't equal the same thrust that she seemed to indicate before. But whatever. So she's on on the hunt and um, we open with them climbing a cliff of ice for reasons 
but not with like safety ropes or anything. They're all just free climbing this ice. Well, they're elves. Well, they don't need <laughs> they're safety elves, precautions. Whatever. Even be though fine. the guys below her look pretty fucking scared. Yeah. <laughs> they look like they might die at any moment. Um, but so like, you know, they're climbing this thing and they're on the hunt for Sauron. They're trying to find some sort of place that they suspected he, he you know, weathered some storms for a while or something. And, uh, and her, her guys are like ready to mutiny, right? Her little troop, right? Which is only like six or seven people. And, and they're, they're done. They don't want to look anymore. They've been looking again for centuries. She says year after year, century after century. So She's been on the hunt for Sauron for 500 years. And you know, I'll be honest. If I'd been looking for something for 500 years and had still failed to find it, I kind of get why people would be a little perturbed. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense that they're losing faith. Like, I don't think you're Mm -hmm. actually going to find it. You keep looking and it seems like everything is fine. There is no Sauron here. Right. I mean, and of and, course and there so is. That's how she can get away is. with this. We yes. know that Sauron is coming. We know. Exactly. But it is understandable that the rest of the elves are like, I don't know. It's It's been a yeah. while. Um, But I'm going to go ahead and throw a thing out here, too, from episode five, because it turns out in television shows, you, you might want to watch the previous episodes before you watch or before you, you know, you might want to look back at the previous episodes before you write the next one. It's just a good tip. Something whenever you're writing, you might want to go back and reference the stuff you did before to make sure you're being consistent. Because in this, like Galadriel hasn't found Sauron. She does at the end of the first episode. She finds evidence of Sauron that reconfirms that he's still out there. It doesn't, it's not enough to convince anybody else, but whatever. But then in episode five, Gilgalad is talking to Elrond after a whole other thing happens. Because this show also epically, epically screws up the timeline of Mithril's entrance into Middle-earth. Yeah. Um, I guess they're doing it by choice. They must be doing it by choice. But like, like Celebrimbor is a character that gets introduced in the show, as I said. El Celebrimbor is the, is the elf who forges the rings. He's their greatest forge master, their greatest smith. And he's the one who forges the rings. He is is the master of the, the the elven forge city, right? Their smith city called Eregion. And in in Tolkien's story, Eregion was built where it was built in order to more easily mine and refine Mithril, right? Like the city is there, cause Mithril. But that's all in, in a different one, book that we don't have access that's to. <laughs> Different book. So, so Eregion in this one is just sort of there, and then this this story is is leaning heavily into the dwarves having just discovered the mineral that would come to be known as Mithril, which they immediately recognize its incredible properties, and then somehow the elves also know that they found it. They feel it. How they know that? <laughs> right. Yeah. They feel it in their bones. In their right? they, they bones. feel it in the air. And so they want it too. And so it's setting up this sort of like that the source of tension, because at this point it seems like the elves and dwarves are, are not unfriendly with each other, right? Like they, they don't like each other. They don't hang out mostly, but you know, like they're, they're okay. 
And so I, I guess what this show is going to do is show that the elves and dwarves fracture over Mithril and control of that, which just seems dumb. Mm, yeah. From top to bottom. Like, it's not, I mean, these, these groups don't hate each other for lack of natural resource access. Right? Like, that's not the problem. So, it, but we'll get there. But when, when they're having this conversation, Gilgalad says that the reason they wanted to, like, get rid of Galadriel, because that's what happens at the end of the first two episodes, is Galadriel is sent to back to Valinor, right? She's given, you're, you're free to go. You've served your service. Basically, she's, she gets told, you're, you're done here. Get to heaven now, right? <laughs> Which, A, I'm not even sure that's a thing that Gilgalad can do. And and B, of course she wouldn't want that. Who would who would want that, right? Like I don't understand. Like I guess I mean I guess you know going to heaven is good, right? But but it who's also going to be like oh oh cool, you know? Like I'm I'm gonna go to Valinor. Yeah, awesome. Well, it's you it's kind of like saying I'm ready to die. That sounds good. Yeah, you know. It's like it's I'm, I'm good with that. But then you know? the like, show does not provide us any context on what those things mean because it's it's probably no. can't and it's relying on people right. being really invested in the Lord of the Rings universe which you can be but again mm-hmm. I still don't think we're getting the gravity of any of these things because there wasn't even really time for that in the Lord of the Rings movies no no a lot of the background stuff was backgrounded intentionally because you know a it's and and this is a choice that anybody who's writing fantasy has to make. And and most modern you know if you if you look at writers when they're talking about like how what is how much backstory are you going to provide the reader? The general rule of thumb is as little as they need. Yeah. You know, like it's you keep because ideally the story that you're telling right now, the thing that's happening right now in the story with the characters you've built is more important than all of that background shit. And so you only give them the background shit to understand here's what the characters are doing now and they need to know and you should know to understand why they're doing what they're doing. So that should always be the balance. But this show, either because of restrictions or because of dumb, dumb, doo-doo headedness, (laughs) they just are trusting that you know what it means for an elf to go to Valinor. Yeah. And, and, Again, the visual language they use to show it is quite literally like the the, the heavens split open, a, 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 a heavenly vagina, if you yeah. will, just spreads open in the sky, <laughs> and then these elves just disappear into it, along with, okay, and this was the other thing I, I, I've seen people talk about, but I really wanted to ask you, there are like handmaidens on the boat who are like taking off their armor and getting them into their little, who are they? little linen. <laughs> What happened to them? Yeah, like did they go to heaven and then come back? Or is this is this the the Egyptians where you're like buried with your whole like family of servants so that they can you know attend to you in heaven or something? I wish I knew. But like all those handmaidens just disappear as well. It's again, it's relying upon a lot of like very scant, like spoken statements about a thing. 
and then some really basic visual imagery to try and convey it. Yeah. But that leads to my main question for this show, which I'll introduce here and then I'm sure we'll circle back to several times. Who is this for? Right? Like when you're writing, you should sort of know who your audience is. And I don't know who this show is for. Because if it's for the Tolkien fans, like the hardcore Tolkien fans, they who don't when like I say <laughs> the elves are going to Valinor, they know what that means. You've pissed those people off from the jump. Like the moment this show started. And honestly, like, that's a hard crowd to WTF? win over. Oh, sure. You can't go in wanting to please them because it's not going to work. Because the way they saw it in their head is never going to be the way you see yeah. it in your head. It's just not going to happen. And that's that's okay. But so like the way that this show is handling its exposition and background would indicate that it's trying to please that it needs that knowledge from those people to work like to function. Yeah. But if it's for them, they're not going to enjoy it. If it's for the people that have a, like no knowledge of Lord of the Rings, like this is their first Lord of the Rings thing, then they're just going to be bewildered. Right. Like this is five hours of a television show that has done absolutely nothing to establish what the hell is going on yeah, at all. So, I mean, like, I can't imagine it's for, like, the complete just, I'm going to go to the movie theater. What movie am I going to see today? Lord of the Rings, the two towers. Well, that sounds kind of interesting. I'll just go check that out, <laughs> see what's going well, and if on. You're, if you're like, thinking about the, the way that fans are are created now, we're, we're talking about people who are young enough to have, possibly seen the original movies when they were kids sure. to have had the grave misfortune of seeing the Hobbit movies when they were relatively young. And mm-hmm. now adults, they're watching this show. So unless they've like put in the work to go and research this stuff, or maybe they're enough of a dork like me that they're subscribed to the nerd of the rings, YouTube channel, which is great by the way. Um, yeah. It's one of my favorites. Uh, you know, unless they're they're going out and like doing the legwork, if you just like the movies, this would be really confusing. Yeah, there's you would recognize the name Galadriel, maybe. And you would probably I mean, recognize like the 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 idea of Valinor, but because it wasn't very important and it was sort of couched differently in in the the Peter Jackson movies, this this is more of a centerpiece. And it needs more explanation. Whereas Peter Jackson could just kind of make it like, well, they're dying and they're going to heaven. Mm-hmm. And heaven, and you get it's to fine. heaven on a Everyone's boat. Good. And that's it. Yep. yep. Heaven is one giant dock in the sky. Yeah. And that was really all you needed to do because it just didn't matter in that context. Like, we're telling a different story. And this is part of it, but it's a very minor part. This is a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> right. This is like the, the this is the critical moment of the one and two episode arcs, um, because Galadriel is basically sent to Valinor, and again later Gilgalad seems to indicate that it was to get rid of her. Right. Like, oh, we got to get this bitch out of the way. Which I, again, I don't know why. Like, why would you do that? And and then of course, like her, you know, the the thrust of her entire character is that she rejects Valinor slash heaven to stay in middle earth and get Sauron, right? Like that is her drive. She, they refuse to have the character simply say, I am 
I am possessed with vengeance, right? Like I must, I must have vengeance for what has been done to me and mine. And I, I get that because elves aren't are supposed to be better than that, but it's obvious that that's not what's going on here. But so she just jumps out of the boat in the middle of the sundering seas with no real plan for how she's going to resolve that. I, I literally, we were watching it at my wife's grandmother's house. Um, Cause that's, we were up there for the weekend. This came out and my daughter's sitting behind me on an air mattress watching it. And she's like, what is she going to do? And I, I just turned around and goes, elves are very strong. Don't worry about it. She already <laughs> killed that troll. I mean, like that's, that's the only, I had to say that. And over the course of watching the second episode, I had to say it like three more times. Like elves are very strong. Don't yeah. worry about it. Superheroes. Because it's like. Well, the rest of them don't seem to be superheroes, but she is. No, the rest of them are chumps. Like her, like the men that are with her when she's fighting that ice troll in the first episode get just dunked on immediately. And here she is like leaping off of swords and ballet dancing around and stuff. And I'm like. So they, you've been together as a fighting unit. Like were those guys <laughs> secretly humans? Did we see right. their ears? Because it just made Maybe. no sense. Movie, it made no this sense. The show is obsessed with hiding people's ears. <laughs> like, there's so much costume design that goes into hiding people's ears in this show that it is comical. But those ears cost a lot. <laughs> oh man, I don't know. This is this is. Does he have an elf daddy? Is he, is he an elf boy? Uh, I don't know. Better hide his ears. Like I just. Uh, yeah. So, and uh, I don't want to get into the entire Galadriel story. Just know that she eventually, she's, she's in the ocean, just a swimming, just swimming in the ocean in the vague direction of land, I guess. Never mind the fact that the Sundering Seas are like 7,000 miles or so. Yeah. <laughs> like. She's just a swimming, and then she runs across some random people on a raft in the middle of the Sundering Seas. As though they're not also fucked. Yeah, everybody's fucked. Like, if you're that far out in the Sundering Seas without capable transportation, you're boned. Boned. Because, like, in, in this world, like, there are monsters and dragons and everything is out there. It's, it's why you don't go, right? Like, you don't go out into the Sundering Seas because you will die. So she finds this raft, and she gets pulled aboard. And it's a bunch of humans who get immediately angry when they realize she's an elf for reasons. Because, again, the whole, like, tension between humans and elves is just not super explained or explored. Um, you know, apparently humans hate elves because elves treat humans like they're just going to betray them at the drop of the hat. Because, you know, last time they betrayed them at the drop of the hat. And, and the next time <laughs> they have a chance, they're going to betray them. They're going like, to betray I, them I again. I hate to, spoiler alert, but... That is what happens every time That's humans exactly do anything. They end up being traitors. Um, so it's like, uh, I, you know, it's just crazy. And then they get attacked by, they continue to call it a worm, which I appreciated. It's like, okay, they're, you know, it's because Smaug is a worm, right? Like he's a, Tolkien's dragons were the dragons that live in the ground, not the ones that fly in the sky. You know, they're they're more, you know, sort of like, well, and, and calling the, them worms, the century, that's, a very old, lizard. that's a very old, old term. That's how they used to describe them. Yeah, I had to explain that it's it's not worm, W-O-R-M. It's worm, <laughs> W-Y-R-M, right? Like, that's the worm that they're referring to here. And so they get attacked, and then it's just uh, Galadriel and Halbrand, who is one of these humans, but it seems he seems more accepting of her. And he has a special necklace 
that Galadriel recognizes, right? Because humans on rafts surviving in the middle of the sundering seas would be very protective of their necklaces. Yeah. But he has a necklace that has a symbol on it that might indicate that he is a king, which. Whew, um, I hate this. I hate this whole storyline sucks. It's sucks uh, so I bad. said it to you earlier and I'm going to say it again for posterity on this podcast. Halbrand is like Aragorn if he were also Sawyer from Lost. And that's just as bad as good. it sounds. In practice, I want him at some point to call Galadriel like chickadee or something. I hate chickadee. it. I hate you know? him so much. He's just, he sucks. And I can see where the show is. I mean, I can see where it's headed. It's pretty obvious where it's headed. Yeah. And, and I, I do want to talk about some predictions for, for next steps because I think that will be interesting. But, but yeah, I think um, so. Hallbrand and her are the only ones who survive. They're rescued by Elindil, a Numenorean ship captain at this point. Um, again, I'm all coincidence and happenstance in shows and and fiction is run of the mill, right? Like, you know, guess what? Luke's going to run into Obi-Wan Kenobi in the middle of the deserts of Mos Eisley or or the, you know, the, the deserts of that, that area because it needs to happen for the story to progress. It's fine. Right. I'm not going to be like, why was that old man just running around out there? Did he feel something in the force? Was he watching Luke from the beginning? Who knows? No one knows. It just happened. It's fine. But in in the second episode, there are like four of those moments. It just stacked up one right after the other, mm. where it's like you're the show's really pushing hard to make sure that you guys survive this, even though a lot of situations would say that you shouldn't. And and so like they wind up with the Numenorians, which kicks off in episode three, I guess. And and you know, we'll we'll get to them. So Galadriel for me is, is the worst story in the show. Mostly because she acts like a, as I said, a petulant teenager. She just expects everybody to do anything that she says for any reason. When, when they arrive at Numenor, right? Like they, they get found. Elendil is bringing them to the queen region. She is just immediately an asshole. She walks in the door and it's like, she kicks over chairs and she's like, listen up, idiots. I'm an elf. Do what I say. And it's like, whoa, like, you know that these people don't like you, right? And you are I well mean, aware now of the I kind of don't like you either. So it's, I'm on their side. <laughs> it's, it's bewildering. Like, it was this moment where I was like, I was expecting her to be like, oh, this is where like her diplomacy comes out, right? Where you see 3,500 years of experience dealing with humans. For her to be like, you know, hey, I, I understand, you know, you're afraid of the outside world. This is safe. This is this is the place where you feel confident and strong. But I'm asking for your help. I must get back to Middle Earth. I must stop the rise of Sauron. You know, whatever. Right. Like, say something to get them on your side. But instead, she's like, yo, bitch, what are you doing? You need to kowtow. I'm, a, I'm an elf. And it's just like, I don't know. And then they throw her in prison because of course they would. Yeah. Like, why would they? And she's, she seems surprised when it happens. Yeah. And it's like, why? Like, look at how you treated them. (laughs) And you just got rescued by one of their people floating out in the middle of the ocean where you were assured to die. It's just bewildering choices. So she's just angry all the time. And, and so I, I saw a person who recommended, who had an idea that I thought was really good. Which was that 
Galadriel should not be the main character of the show. It's Galadriel should be back at Lindor with Gilgalad, political intrigue, court, court intrigue, dealing with Elrond, whatever. And this character, this character that's like going on these adventures and meeting the Numenorians should be an original character for the show that we do not have connections to. I agree. That I think that one choice would, would change the entire landscape of this show because the actress that they have played, it could be the same actress as the character. Like I'm, I'm fine with that, but it should not be Galadriel. They chose Galadriel because she's a character that's old enough and is also in Lord of the Rings. That's why they chose her period, because there is no other reason at this point in Galadriel's life. She has already been blessed by the moons, right? So her hair should be like shining hundred percent of the time. Her eyes should be shining hundred percent of the time. She should already be married to Celeborn with kids. No, right. That's not the right? cool image that we want her to have where she's out killing trolls and busting balls. Like, <laughs> but you could do that. <laughs> you could, you could do that with Galadriel if she wasn't the main character of the show. You could. Cause if she was just back in Lindor as one of these, you know, great high members of the, of the, the elven court, you could do all of those things and you could have her be at least some, well, let's look at this. There more time in Galadriel's life has passed between her birth and the time we're seeing her in the show than passes between the time the show happens and when we see her in Lord of the Rings. Right. Yep. Like, am I, am I, I'm, I'm, my, my timeline of middle earth is not that complete. I'll be honest. <clears throat> But it's only like another like thousand years. It's only. <laughs> and so like, it, so that means you're going to take this 3,500 year old elf who is just a petulant asshole to every single person that she meets. And then by in a thousand years, she's going to turn into the lady of Lothian. Uh, okay. Uh, Sure. Yeah, I mean, I know there's that line in Lord of the Rings where I will become more great and terrible than ever. You know, like I understand, like she has the potential, but I, I just the character doesn't work as presented. No, here. and no, and it's not working for me at all. The horse riding scene on the beach with her is terrifying. <laughs> it was so weird. It's so strange. Her face in slow motion is like awful. It just it's a complete mishandling of of her character, in my opinion. Yeah. Um. And and unfortunately, it seems like she has been reduced to this just like girl boss thing. Thanks, and, I hate it. <laughs> I mean, I again, I think that's fine. Like, I would love to see Warrior Galadriel, but this is a warrior that is not Galadriel, right? Like, it's just not the same. So the Galadriel storyline is kind of a non-starter for me. Every time it cuts to it in the show, I'm just like, oh god, Jesus, please just make it short. Um, there's a sword fighting scene in episode five that is so bad. She's automatically good at everything. Oh, my She's God. She's good it, at everything. It's just, it's shot badly. It's stunt choreographed badly. It's bad. It, it looks, it looks like, it looks like theater practice. 
right? It's like, it's only theater practice, guys. It's practice <laughs> or sword play. Like, it's, it's that bad. And, you know, I really wanted, like, them to do maybe some speed ratcheting on her to, to sort of just communicate how fast the elves are, how lithe, how... And it just, it doesn't read. Like, the sword fight, I just laughed the whole time. I was like, my God. This is so bad. I, and it's meant to be like this epic moment. And it was. It was I awful. went to I just, oh. uh, the Viking Museum yesterday here in Stockholm. Mm-hmm. And we saw some uh, part time uh, reenactors, museum employees that put on costumes. And no then sense. they have yeah. swords and they, they beat each other up so that they can show you how, you know, Viking weapons worked. Um, Mm -hmm. and they have, they have swords, they have spears, they have axes, and that was more exciting and more engaging and more accurate than the fight that on, on this very expensive, very pro TV show. Yeah, I, it, it was, it was, it was bad. It was just real bad from top to bottom. Um, so I, I don't think Galadriel should be the main character. That's kind of where I'm at. I think they should have just invented a new character, come up with another cool name for an elf, and have her be like Galadriel's agent in the world, right? Yeah. Galadriel is sending her on missions, and Galadriel is pissed off Gilgalad because he keeps sending out this girl to try and find Sauron because she knows that Sauron's returning. And so there's like the, the court intrigue political drama that they're trying to do in the show is a joke. And it's it's so surface and uninteresting, and it feels like they inserted it just to try and appeal to the Game of Thrones people. It's it's awful, right? Like all of this infighting amongst the elves, where Gilgalad's like, "Oh, we got to get rid of these people, and all this stuff got to change." And Elrond, why don't you understand the fate of the elves? Or and it's like, oh God, this is so bad. Yeah, right. And and I understand if you you have to have conflict. If, if you have to have conflict within the elves, that maybe that's how you go about it. I, I get it. But just what they're having them do, because like the big secret that gets revealed in episode five is that the elves know that the dwarves have Mithril. How they know this, why they know this, why they even suspect that it's a thing that they care about. The only way that they can justify it in the show is by referencing a story that doesn't exist anywhere in the Tolkien mythology about a Balrog and an elf fighting around a tree that had a Cimmeril in it. Yeah. And then lightning struck the tree and we see a very tall, we see a very Peter Jackson's, you know, like the, the, the tree image on the door of Moria, which was put there by Celebrimbor. And then the tree image that eventually winds up in, in, Lord of the Rings on his on uh, Aragorn's armor in uh, the return of the King, the the sort of elven tree, which is all a reference back to the original trees on Valinor and, and all that stuff. Like I, you know, I get the imagery guys, but like a tree gets struck by lightning. And then the roots of that tree, because it had the Silmaril, because of the lightning, because of the Balrog, because of the elf goes down into the mountain and creates Mithril. So they create an origin story for Mithril for just an ore. Yeah. Right. Which it's just not necessary. Not necessary. And then they, they tie it to the fate of the elves in middle earth. (sighs) 
that if they don't get a hold of that <laughs> right now, they're going to die. They're going to be doomed. They're, and the only way that Elrond explains is that their light will fade and they will diminish, which is a direct line from Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings when Galadriel passes the test of the one. And it's really, really difficult. Like, I just, I'm just going to throw this out there. I think in any application, it's very difficult to generate sympathy for the elves who have lived thousands and thousands of years and are upset that they might live another thousand years and then just fade away as ghosts. It's like, well, I mean, you had a pretty good run. See, yeah, maybe it's not such a bad thing. Like, I don't, I don't see the big emergency if like your your thousands of years on this planet are going to come to an end. Like, oh, fucking well. <laughs> Whoopsie. Yeah. Like, who cares? You know? And but I mean, we've never seen anything like this. No, there's never been a reference to Mithril being tied to the fate of the elves. Um, we know it was important to them because it's where they smithed their greatest armor and weapons, which are mostly just explanations for the armor and weapons that the characters in Lord of the Rings wind up with. Like that's really yeah, all like, it's there not for. that deep. It's but so now it's tied to the to the the fate of the elves. And if the dwarves don't hand over all that goddamn mithril, they're gonna storm those fucking caves and they're gonna take it. Or at least that's I mean, isn't that the threat here? Yeah. Right? Like isn't that what Gilgalad is threatening? That if they don't just give them access to Mithril that they'll come and take it. I mean, in what universe is that how the elves solved their problems? I it's, it's bewildering to me like that scene. This, this show has for the most part left me very middle of the road. I either have been like, Oh, that's cool. Or mm, that's fine. But that show made me angry or that, that scene. Cause I was like, this is completely against, I mean, like, hey, Gilgalad, yeah, maybe he wasn't great, but he wasn't like a, I'm going to storm Kaza Doom and take all your mithril, bitch. Like, there definitely was never that, <laughs> at least not that I'm aware of. No. Right? So it's, that was like, no, this is, this, all this is bad. All of this is bad. Um. So the, but that touches upon, again, one of the things that we mentioned that's noted. So the Galadriel storyline, non-starter, don't care. Numenor is a joke. Their armor looks like trash. It's, it's so much NVMe foam layered over, uh, you know. Like it's, it's really bad. I found that distracting. That unbelievable. Like they're just taking Warbla and carving things into it. And I just really, I hate it. It's, it's just, it, in a show that is, is boasting its production design. There, those things that are just getting epically wrong. Like the armor just looks bad. They gave ha they gave um, Halbrand a set of armor at the end of episode five that just looks ridiculous. Um, they reforged Galadriel some armor that looks totally different from any of the other armor they forge. Because I presume it's not her original armor. I don't think it is. How could it be? She lost it. Like she yeah. didn't even have it. So, so I'm presuming they made her a new set of armor. For for reasons. And so she's got some new set and it, I don't know. None of it looks good. It's just, it's fine at best. And the, the palace intrigue in the Numenorean side is also dumb because there's just, they're just doing it's, he's just Jafar. 
<laughs> he's he's Jafar, and he's like. But you know what? That um, makes it slightly better. I mean, if you think of him as Jafar, the show takes on an entirely different air. But I mean, he's just the. I will be the king behind the king. <laughs> like I, I'm like, whoa, you guys, come on, man. Like, it's got to be deeper than. Oh, I'll just wait for them to make the mistakes, and then I'll ride <laughs> in with my horse and take all the credit. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, this is so pathetic. Um, but that's uh, Phazon, isn't that his name? Phazon. 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 Something like that. So just remember when you're watching, dear listener, that Farazan equals Jafar. And uh, I mean, I guess we while we're talking about the Numenorians, as I said, Elindil is mostly fine. They kind of sideline him in episodes four and five, and he doesn't get a lot to do. But I guess we should talk about Isildur. He sucks. Um, 100%. He sucks so Isildur, so as we said is the guy who fails to get rid of the ring of power, right? That's his mistake because he's obsessed with power, right? He's like, no, it's mine, right? Like that's, that's his story. So, okay. So I, I have to point out something the writers have said about a Sildur because apparently a Sildur is going to be a huge part of the show moving forward, which I think is a colossal mistake. Yeah. Um, but they, they, so they see a Sildur's story as a tragedy it is it's not no it's not it's not a tragedy at all and they compared him to michael corleone in the godfather series thanks i hate it i just hate it <laughs> so much i i had to bring that up because i knew exactly what you were gonna I say i just um, what the oh my god He's he, so, and this is one of the co-showrunners. Okay, this is one of the co-showrunners of the show saying that they think Isildur is the Michael Corleone of the Lord of the Rings universe. It's ah. so hard for me to say that sentence. Um. So, and once you understand that context, what they've done with the character so far comes into very sharp relief, because when we meet Isildur. He is training to be a member of the Sea Guard. They're just guys on ships. I, I don't I don't know what else to say about them. They're just dudes who go around on ships and apparently fight things if they ever sort of come to Numenor, I guess. And so he's training to be a member of the Sea Guard. And he doesn't want to be a member of the Sea Guard. Meh. Right? He's he's got he's being called by the West. Okay. Now <sighs> In, in Tolkien's universe, you have East and West. They re don't really talk about the North and South very much, but there's a lot of talk about going to the West means like going to Valinor, right? Like you're going to the Grey Havens, like you're, 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 you're leaving Middle-earth, right? Like that's the exit strategy for most people. East is towards Sauron, right? Like you're going to the darkness. Very simple metaphor. Yeah. So in this one, they make this big deal about him being called by the West, right? Which initially, when they first said it, I was like, oh, that's okay. So maybe he wants to, like, reconnect with the elves. He wants to sort of find his past as a, 
as a, a former like you know Numenorian elf combo, right? That okay, mm. sure, yeah, that makes some kind of sense. But no, then they continue to clarify they can't stop talking, and they say <laughs> they cannot no, they shut mean, the fuck up about. It. They mean the the west side of Numenor, which is kind of like apparently a closed off side because that's where all like the elves used to hang out before they kicked them off the island. And he's like, I just hear being called by the west side of Numenor. And I'm like, then just go there on a weekend. Yeah. It's like your dad and Galadriel ride to the west side of Numenor in an afternoon. And we get a great slow motion horse riding scene of it, <laughs> apparently. And then they go to a tower and they find a secret thing that tells them that Sauron's logo is actually just a map middle <laughs> I never realized it before. <laughs> I didn't turn it sideways and see that it's two mountains with a mountain in the middle. Oh, Remarkable. My I'm a fool. <laughs> um, like, so he's like, no, I just want to go to the west side of the island. <laughs> like, just go, dude. Who's stopping you? But so like it's so he but it's all just. I don't want to be like you, dad. Like, screw you, dad. I'm going to the west side of the island. Like, okay, great. Do that. It is just, it's bewildering. And there's a sister who apparently it was a brother and they just, they just gender swapped, which again, I don't care. It doesn't matter. The brother dies in the appendices. If I remember right, like whoever the other brother, the other sibling eventually gets killed and it doesn't make a difference anyway. Um, but it's a sister in this one and she wants to join one of the guilds in town that of course is only run by the dudes. And so she's just, you know, she's girl bossing it, just getting it done, right. Getting into that guild. And, but I don't know what she's here for. Like her, her part in the story makes no sense. The only other thing that happens to her is that she meets and falls in love question mark with Farazan's son who is a dumbass. Yeah, there's there's uh, like um they're they're forming factions of like don't help the elf and and help the elf. Yes. And the sister mm-hmm. and and Weaselman don't want yes. to help. They do not Weaselman like Weaselman and Jafar don't want to help. Yeah. Jafar is very anti-help. But Jafar um, except, is really really power. underhanded yeah. about it, which is important. Like that's right. why he's Jafar. He's not going to let anybody know how he feels. Right. He's not going to say don't help the elf. Yeah. He's going to let other people say He's it. just going to say it. help the elf to get the power so that then he can say later, don't help yeah. the elf. It's very smart. It's very Just in case you weren't able very, to follow. Yeah. yeah, in case this story is just really swinging out of control for you here. Um, yeah. So they meet, they fall in love, they talk about, I don't know, washing things at some point. I don't I was know. Like, oh, I'll go get a washcloth and I'll wash it. That's fine, baby. <laughs> I love to wash These things. parts of the you know show, I, mean? I just kind of drift away just zone out yeah me too like, i don't like, care oh, about anything that's happening i don't i mean i know what happens to these people <laughs> <laughs> they all die. and i'm very excited um, to see that but you know <laughs> until that happens i don't think i'm going to pay much attention i mean and i know the show has made a big deal about showing numenor for the first time which is something that even in in lord of the rings it's just always talked about. oh it looks like a lord pre-rendered of the background heat Numenor, I mean, Numenor was destroyed by the yeah. time that it rolls around. And and we've already seen that. They showed it to us, uh, the destruction of Numenor. And 
I, I mean, I can't say that the show isn't trying to develop iconic moments. Like it's trying, like when the white tree of Numenor begins to lose its its petals and they're blowing through, the, it looks like snow. It's like, yeah, that's very interesting looking. But it's in the service of stupid things, right? Like the island knows that Galadriel's getting kicked off, so it's like, hmm, we're sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, maybe the Valar do, who knows? But so the Numenor stuff's basically a non starter for me. I, I guess that might change when they finally get to, you know, Middle Earth proper and, and start fighting, maybe. But I have a feeling that there's going to be a lot of like running and hiding and Isildur is going to be like, I can't handle it and whatever. And, and it's just going to be insufferable. Well, I look forward um, to seeing him get hurt. Maybe that would be nice. Because that's the big thing is like what I was hoping. And we kind of talked about this last week. Was that Isildur, he would be this like, you know, maybe he's troubled. Maybe he, maybe he's not perfect. Sure. But he's this essentially like young man who's trying to be noble trying to do trying to be more right because that's the whole story of men in Tolkien's Middle Earth is that we generally fuck it up and we go for the easy route we take the power when we can get it but every once in a while we we fucking get it right right and we make the right choice but it's rare right so what I was hoping was that we'd see this Isildur sort of as this guy who's striving, right? And maybe he's striving because he wants to please daddy at first. Sure, whatever, Yeah, right? whatever floats your boat. But eventually it becomes this thing where he, he believes he's capable, but then when he inevitably turns and takes the ring of power for himself, now we have a tragedy, right? <clears throat> if that's what they mean by we see his character as tragic, then I can kind of see that arc. But it's really more of greed right it's it's desire right i want more than what i have and and that's not necessarily tragic so i i don't know his character is just not working for me and the actor they have playing him looks like a discount charlie cox and i i just it doesn't work it doesn't work at all it doesn't and and i i am not excited to see where those characters go there's like that goofy scene at the end of the last episode where like he he was in the sea guard then he makes a mistake that could easily have killed like three people on purpose Oops. like he's trying to get kicked off and then he gets kicked off but he also gets two of his friends kicked off the sea guard at the same time cuz they were kind of like there i guess and and so they hate him and so he's ruined three people's lives including <laughs> his own and and he doesn't even feel sorry about it. He's like, well, what's your big deal? What do you care? Come on, like, bros. They're like, dude, they're like, dude, I've been trying to do this job for my whole life. And you just took it from me for no reason. And so it's this really sort they're, of, it's a character who's selfish beyond reproach. And, and I, know, selfish beyond care. I know that they're, they're almost trying to bring that back to like the ultimate betrayal, which is that he keeps the ring. Yes. However, yeah. it would be nice if he had some depth, it would be nice if we maybe understood or, or they tried to make us sympathize with that later decision to betray an entire race, to betray an entire mm-hmm. world. Um, but yeah. we don't we don't get that at all. No. 
And and again, maybe they're building to it, but at this point, I can't even see a character that that is worth that kind of effort. No. You know. All right. So a couple other storylines that we should probably talk about um, at this halfway point. Um, one, uh, we have the Arondir story. So we'll, we'll hit that one briefly. Yeah. It's quite. It's pretty simple, honestly. Like this storyline is, if anything, frustratingly simple because it's not moving. Like it's just kind of staying in one spot. That is true. In essence, a Rondir, a Rondir is a wood elf of some kind who is a member of a watch group, um, which these are the watchtowers that we've seen in Lord of the Rings adaptations before, just kind of peppered throughout the universe, peppered throughout the universe. And he's in this watchtower and, and he's watching over this valley of humans. And these are all Southland humans, the humans who aligned with Morgoth in the first stage. So they bad, right? Mm-hmm. They, they have the potential to go bad yet again. Um, which again, they're correct. The elves are right. right? Yeah. The humans can be mad about it, but they're correct. And the human who gets most mad about being accused is the one who turns first. So um, whatever. So he's watching these valleys. They're basically cops. They move from town to town, checking for problems, issues, etc. But it's it's heavily hinted at because we've never seen his ears that a Rondier has gotten a little bit close with a local lady. Um, what is her name? Bronwyn. Bronwyn. Bronwyn, right? Just a weird combination of Baron and Eowyn. Right? Bronwyn, right? Yeah. We're just mi- it is a real name. They, must have just, they didn't make it up. It is. But no, they I hate it. I hate her. I hate all um, of this. <laughs> another, another, real, another real bad British accent here. Yeah. Um, and and it may and if it's her real accent, I apologize. I'm sorry, lady. I, I honestly, you suck. don't know. I just don't like you in this show. Maybe you're good in other things. I don't know, and I'm probably never going to find out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's 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 really okay. I, I know that she. It, it really doesn't matter. But anyway, um, I know she's probably from the UK. Most of these actors are from the UK, but her her British accent is distracting, in how she's choosing to emphasize certain parts of it. Put it out. So she's a healer. Right, which there's a whole discussion in the first one about how elves don't need healers, which I'm sure is going to come back at some point. Um, they have menders or whatever they call them, artificers, who kind of like kickstart the healing process maybe, but that's it. And so like she's a healer and and they've obviously gotten busy at some point in the past or at least heavily thought about it. She has a son. She's a single mom. Right, She's just out there struggling. She's actually trying to make ends meet. Man. Her son is it's, the it's worst. Mess. He sucks so bad. Um, his name is Theo, I think. His name which, is uh, Shitbag. I don't like him. I'm sorry, little boy who plays this character, but you suck. <laughs> my inevitable problem with it is that they're obviously setting it up that this is his, that this is a Ron Deere's kid. Like Probably. Really, really setting it up that hard. If not, great. You fooled me. You got me. <laughs> oh, Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. Good one. <laughs> you had me going. You never showed me his fucking ears. So I assumed he was an elf. But if he is, he would have seen his own ears, right? At some point. No. So he, so he would know that he's an elf kid, and he would know that this one elf who also has 
pale, you know, slightly darker skin than some of the other people like him had been around his mom a lot. And he might have figured out that maybe that's his real dad. Uh, but yet he hates Elf Dude, like with a passion, which inspires him to make certain choices early in the show that if it is eventually revealed that he's got pointy ears are going to it's going to make all of those choices so totally irrelevant and inconsistent that I just I'm going to laugh my butt off when it happens because I, I have a feeling that's exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, but so if they've gotten busy or not, whatever, he hangs around, they like each other. And this is where this is the storyline wherein we find out that there is if you had any doubt that Sauron was still around. Um, this this is the storyline that reveals that no, there is an encroaching evil in Middle Earth, and it is taking out these southern towns one by one. Um, with orcs digging tunnels. Okay. Sure. Um, so they're 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 digging tunnels, getting under these towns, kidnapping people, seemingly to be slaves to dig more tunnels. I guess, even though orcs are supposedly very good at digging tunnels and don't need a ton of assistance. But they don't really feel like it. I, I mean, I guess the idea would be that the humans can work for them during the day when orcs can't be in the sun, maybe. And we do see some evidence of that. Arondir, as you mentioned earlier, gets captured at one point. He goes down to investigate one of the tunnels, gets captured. And then we find out that all of his elf company have been captured. Right. They were told to go home. Right. Because after Gilgalad sends Galadriel, you know, to the West, he's like, bring everybody home. War's over. Everything's great now. Humans, they're fine. Elves were great. Just come on. Come on back to Lindor. Beautiful home of the elves. We'll live in the trees, have parties, drink wine, eat salad, whatever. And so they're they're shipping out and the orcs kidnap all of them and you know that seems like a mistake i mean if i was a person tactically trying to you know make sure that my efforts in the southlands went undetected by those pesky elves i might not want to kidnap an entire group of them Mm. that were headed home yeah because eventually you would think somebody be like hey where were those elves we asked them to come home did they not come (laughs) home perhaps we should send some people to find them but I'm sure the show won't address that at all. <laughs> no. Well, there's just not enough time. <clears throat> We've got so many other subplots that we have to talk about. So many other subplots. And so we get a scene in episode three and four, which it was a good action scene. I'll admit again, a is our Legolas. And so he gets to do all kinds of Legolasy things. He's flying through the airs. He's kicking chains. He's, he's doing all kinds of cool shit. And frankly, it does look pretty good when he is, is up to his Lego listing, but the entire, okay. So I'm, I want you, I want to make sure that I got this right. The entire like thrust of the thing that ends up getting all of the other elves, except a Rondier killed is that they don't want to cut down a tree <laughs> that's in the way of a trench because elves love trees. And I, I understand we've already seen ints in this show. 
There was a little side thing that we saw when the the meteor man was coming down. There were meteor, some meteor, meteor, meteor man, meteor man, <laughs> and uh, so like I imagine we're gonna get ints at some point, and that's fine. I love ints. Everybody loves ints. Ints are great. Love trees. They're the best. They're the best ints. They're the best trees. Only the best trees, right? Um, but they don't want to cut down the tree. Okay, no, they're they're digging a trench. Presumably so the orcs can move through this area. The trench is open to the air. Yeah. It is not a tunnel. Yeah. But as they move, apparently they're putting up like blankets and stuff uh, over the trench so that they can move, which seems like a really inefficient way to block the sun, <laughs> especially if you're an orc that supposedly dies in the sun, which it doesn't seem like it kills them. They just get burned, right? They just get like, it's just really rash. miserable. Well, what happens to them in the sun is the same thing that happens to me. <laughs> mm, exactly. So it's a place for you as a as a watcher to be like, hey, yeah, I suntan pretty hard. Yeah. <laughs> Don't want to go out in that harsh. harsh I mean, stuff. that sucks. You know, I really I it identify with the orcs. Yeah, the orcs are really the group that I can get behind in this series. <laughs> and so they don't want to cut down this tree or the roots that are blocking the trench. And so it becomes this huge conflict. And then eventually Ronder's like, I'll cut it down. And he cuts down the tree, which still doesn't deal with the roots, which are the things that are actually in the way. Well, what killed me about that was that the orcs, are they like anti-environment? Like, I mean, we've seen them destroy forests before, but they didn't. Sure. They didn't strike me as as the type to sit around going like, you know what I hate? Trees. Trees. I just hate them. Right. And even if no. I could go around this tree, which I totally could, I want to cut it down just to spite the tree and anyone who likes the tree. That just seemed a little mustache twisty for me, where it's like, Very. what? I, I don't know if they would go to all that trouble. To me, it it, it would make more sense if an orc was like, this tree is in my way, but we can just go around it and and we want to get this done as quickly as possible so we can get to the the murdering and, and the, the things exactly. that we're actually yeah. excited about doing. But they really made that tree a sticking point. It was it was literally the sticking point of the episode. Yeah. And and it just made no sense because it was like just go around it. Like there's nothing to the side of it, just go around. It'll save you tons of time. Like you don't have to do it. No, we hate the tree. Yeah, but, Oi, we got really trees. goofy accents, aren't we? Oh, we, you elves, love trees and we hate them. We just burn Most them to the ground. We hate you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you elves are garbage. Oi. We're just going uh, Yeah, a lot of oils going on. It's just, it's the like, my God. are really um, bad. <laughs> so bad. Uh, but then we get introduced. So this show is like really fond of just dropping in char- new characters all the time, which again is a thing that shows have to do to inject life. But in this one, we get uh, what's his name? Arund? Is that his name? Um, Depends on who we're talking about. <laughs> uh, or the the twisted elf. Oh, uh, uh, Arad. Uh, Arad. Yeah, that sounds right. Arad. So. Oh no, Adar. Uh, no, no, Adar. That's his name. I yes, knew it was something even stupid. Better. So we we meet the leader of this group of elves, which is a twist, or a group of orcs, which is a twisted elf, right? And if you know even just the barest bit about J.R.R. Tolkien's orc lore, is that they used to be elves, right? I think the show even says that at some point. 
Um, they used to be elves, but they became twisted and darkened and, and you know, blah, blah, blah. So Adar, <laughs> blah, blah, blah is right. and so on and so forth, right? Like he didn't, it didn't matter. Like it's just supposed to, it's corruption, right? The orcs represent corruption. Uh, even in the most bare bones readings of the Lord of the Rings, you know, and, and Tolkien was very cautious to say, oh, this is a parallel for the destruction of World War II, even though it probably was. Um, no, the orcs and Saruman don't just represent industrialization, destroying the I, the pristine British countryside, even though they probably do. Um, like that's that's like, but the orcs are corrupted, right? They're not evil; they're corrupted. And so Adar is seemingly in control of this group of orcs. Um, he gets pissed later when somebody says that they think he's Sauron. Yeah, they call him Sauron, um, and he has a pretty gross overreaction. Like, loses his fucking mind, man, and then a kid apparently gets murdered. Just <laughs> fine because that kid sucked too. Yeah. Um, you know, so I'm like, if we're killing off the kids that suck, you keep going, Rings of Power. You just keep murdering them kids. I'm on Team Adar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Team Adar for sure. So, uh, so he's not Sauron, which I, uh, there were some people trying to be like, is he Sauron? I'm like, no. no. Again, at this point, again, the show is like completely fucked over the timeline at this point. So I can't say for sure, but at this point, I mean, like it's how Brimbor, I, 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 he's the only one that makes any sense. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it is because the whole point of this time period in Sauron's existence is that he is, is Anatar, right? The gift giving elf. And that's how he appeared to Celebrimbor to convince him to forge the Rings of Power, right? And that they would bring harmony and unity to Middle-earth. The elves would be able to save and preserve and protect, right? If you look at the powers of the various rings, the elven rings were all designed around preservation and protection, right? Like They were, they were there to assist them in preserving Middle-earth. <clears throat> the... the you know, the elves and the, the dwarves were all about greed and power and blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> so he's in disguise at this point in the series. We know this, right? So the question is, is, is constantly going around is like, well, who is he disguised as? So Halbrand would make the most obvious choice because um, Halbrand is also a forger. Um, he's obsessed with forging Numenorean weapons while he's there. And he sucks. Um, and we know that Sauron does sucks. does also suck. And so, like, but so there were people like, oh, is Adar Sauron? Well, I guess not. No, no he's not. Um, and it wouldn't suit his purposes to be in Adar's body at this point. Like, it's not going to help Sauron achieve his goals of crafting the rings. Or J.K. Rowling in stealing the idea and turn it, calling them horcruxes. <laughs> right? Like you got to think about that one too. So the a dark character is at least interesting. It's another one created for the show. Which again, the characters that I like in this show for the most part are the original characters. Like they're the mm -hmm. ones that have been crafted for the show. Not all of them. They ain't all bangers, but most of them are fine. And so Adar is there. Um, they how the show is handling orcs and sunlight. Very weird. Not really sure how that's going to work. There is a neat, uh, I guess in episode four, there was that neat sort of running through the forest scene where they're escaping the orcs and a Rondir shows up and he's like shooting the arrows and stuff. That was good. You know, like the action in this hasn't been terrible, but it's so few and far between. 
But so, like, the Arondir story culminates. They go back to this watchtower. They hole up there to try and defend themselves from the orcs. There's a mutiny amongst the humans. The bad human that sort of knows what's going on with and was apparently a follower of Sauron, even though that was, like, 2,000 years ago, whatever, is like, no, we're going to go swear our fealty. Everything will be fine. Bah, 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 bah. And he gets a bunch of people together, and they go. Not a real rabble, 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 rabble <laughs> stuff going on in that. And so the other thing that's been going on with all of this is that Theo, the kid that sucks, one one of them, one of the kids that sucks, has a sword, I guess, a hilt of yeah. a sword at the very least, um, that when you, when you inject it into your arm, it sucks out your blood and then becomes like a real sword, but doesn't stay a real sword. It's a real Pinocchio situation where it kind of like goes back down after a while. Um, and so apparently this artifact is very important to Adar. We don't know what it does other than suck your blood and turn into a sword. But apparently it's important. End of episode five, they reveal that the, the elves even carved a representation of that sword into the watchtower. <laughs> like, I guess like hey, warning. watch out for this. <laughs> Yeah, check, make sure you don't see one of these <laughs> things running around. These are all kinds of trouble, you know. Um, and so apparently it's tied to Sauron, of course, and it's some kind of magical thing, and the orcs want it. So we're we're building now after five episodes of television. Most of them are that are longer than a full hour, right? Like the last episode was 73 minutes. to some kind of conflict at this watchtower where Adar and the orcs are trying to get the artifact. The humans and Arondir are trying to defend the watchtower and the artifact. And presumably the Numenorians and Galadriel and Hallbrand are going to show up and be a part of that battle. Cause of course, um, cause time, what is time? What, the, the middle earth has been very carefully and articulately mapped by Tolkien himself, and then also many, many Tolkien scholars that have like charted things out and been like, oh, well, Frodo Baggins' journey took this much time and it went from here to here to here to here. So this is much be this much, you know, distance and all this different stuff. And and human beings and and elf characters in this, like a region is like two and a half weeks by horseback from Moria or Casa Doom at this point. Right, like or a, a couple long of hours, way. or just an afternoon stroll, yeah. where Celebrimbor and Elrond don't even like bring packs. Yeah, they don't even have backpacks of material like food. They just sort of like like Elrond says, "Hey, let's just go visit the dwarves." They grabbed and a couple Celebrimbor's of like, pieces oh. of Limbus bread and just went out on their way. Just just started hoofing it, right? And I'm like. One of the things that Peter Jackson does a good job, because he too plays with time and distance. You, you kind of have to, to tell a story this big and, and make it work. It's not quite as bad as where Star Wars went in the, the sequel trilogy, where like they go into hyperspace and they're just instantly wherever they are. Mm -hmm. Like there's, you know, there's just no time at all. Like, oh, we need to get to this planet. Oh, we're there. Oh, we need to get to this planet. Oh, we're there. <laughs> you know, it's like, it doesn't take time. It's all good even though it's very clearly established in the original trilogy that, you know, even when you go to hyperspace, you know, it could be a bit, whatever. Space is big. Um, yeah, exactly. 
so the but here we just we're getting like a real flattening of of all that stuff and then i really loved so i was like okay so they've arrived at at casa doom you know like and and then elrond basically says we're just you can just head on back (laughs) i'll take care of it so like okay so you guys just walked for like a month and then didn't get in immediately. And so you just tell Killer Purple to just, nah, just head on back. It's all good. Just, I'll take care they of don't, it. And they just don't like, look tired. They don't look worn out. No. It looks like no, it's been aren't even an hour. Uh, it's, it's just that kind of stuff just blows my mind. So the the last couple of storylines, again, we've, we've danced around Elrond and Durin, but it's easily the strongest relationship in the show. Um, cause it's implied that Elrond and Durin were friends in the past. And then because elves live long, obviously, I mean, like that's, El- he just, you know, lost track of time. You know, Elrond's been back in Lindor. He's been writing down stuff as an archivist. He's been maybe reading some poetry and, you know, just like 20 years went by like that blink of an eye type stuff. But Durin has had like a full life and he's pissed off that Elrond hasn't checked in. Yeah. Just forgot you know, about his him. Wedding invitation. Yeah, ignored his wedding invitation, didn't come to his marriage, didn't didn't you know respond to the birth announcements of his children, whatever. And this is the most like believable relationship in the show. Because Durin is just pissed. He's like, I thought we were friends, man. You've missed my whole life. Like I'm in my forties now. And I was like, but we we live forever, so twenty years isn't that long. And he's like, like, Well, I don't give a shit about yeah, that. Yeah, like I will die. Maybe you won't, but I will. Yeah, so like hang around man and so they kind of spend the first episode repairing that there's a really cool like dwarven ritual that they do where they're busting it's up cute it was cute and it's fun adorable. Love dwarves. You know, it's fun and that i mean and that's the key problem is the show isn't any fun yeah like lord of the rings is a very serious story and jackson handled that seriousness as well as he probably could have but he also understood because he makes visual media they also need to be fun. Yeah. Right. Like there are moments of fun and humor and excitement. And like, for some reason, whoever's writing the show has decided that the only characters that can have fun are Elrond and it's game of Thrones. I'm telling you, like that show. It's, yeah. Changed things. <laughs> yeah. So Durin is our, is our Tyrion Lannister. Basically, oh, right? oh I get God. I know things. <laughs> he's, he's our Dinklage. Oh, <laughs> He's the Dinklage legacy. You know, actually, I would um, kind of like this if Pete Dinklage was in it. I should find I, a no, place I, for him. I, I no like him. Peter Dinklage. The, the way that they assassinated Tyrion at the end of that show, not physically, like he survives the series, which is in and of itself ridiculous. I don't even know what you're talking um, about. I only know a guy from clips I've seen on Twitter and memes. <laughs> <laughs> I drink and I know things. That's my job. Yeah. Um, but like Durin and Elrond is a believable relationship. Durin's wife, we mentioned Disa, um, is is wonderful. Uh, just she is. They introduce this idea of uh, what do they call him a resonator? Um, basically, they have people who sing inside the mountains, and then based on the resonance of the the respondent echoes, that kind of gives them an idea of where they need to to go. Right, where where to dig. Um, and Disa is one of these. Durin fell in love with her and and pursued her, and she became his his princess, I guess. Um, and so, I mean, you know, lovely relationship. She's wonderful. The actress they have playing her is wonderful. 
again, these are characters. I mean, Durin is in the books, like the line of Durin, you know, eventually resolves in Thorin Oakenshield. Um, I love dwarves you know, and, and they're so good. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, I'll be honest. Like I, I really love the Thorin Oakenshield characters presented in the Hobbit films. I think it's one of the best things about those films. Obviously his, even if the rest Thorin's, of them were dog shit, <laughs> Yeah, even if the rest of it's pretty rough, like the Thor and Oakenshield stuff, like the when Balin is telling the story of how he got the name Oakenshield, that little flashback sequence in The Hobbit may be the greatest thing in those films uh, because that sequence works so well. Like, my goodness, um, you know, and, and to Jackson's credit, he's he's doing a lot to try and make those movies work. But he probably should have done less. It never should have been three movies. Never in a million years should that have comprised three movies. That was a total business decision by the studio. And I will never believe that it was anything else than that. And, you know, since we've arrived at Hobbits, perhaps we should talk about the Harfoots. Because we haven't talked about them at all. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm looking at the time. I'm like, oh, it's getting late where you are. We probably Well, I mean. (laughs) But. But yes, we've arrived at the Harfoots. Uh, again, Elrond, Durin, almost no notes. All of their scenes basically work. Their storyline is the strongest. The Mithril stuff and the elves needing it is stupid. But I understand they're creating conflict. They at least have chemistry. They're, but those two characters have chemistry every time they're together. Thumbs up. Whoever's writing them, because I'm getting the feeling now that these aren't episode writers. I think they have they had writers who wrote the storylines for each of these sets of characters and then each episode writer is just taking their little chunk and trying to do it. But I think it's basically been done for them because it's, it's impossible to me that those characters can be good and consistent from episode to episode to episode when the rest of them are just trash. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. So, so yes, we have arrived at the Harfoots out in the forest. This is the children of the forest. This is the worst and most upsetting thing in the show, aside from Galadriel. Yeah, I, Galadriel's pr- is pretty close to number one, but this is this is up there too. I love hobbits. I mean, I I've been saying I love dwarves. They were designed to be loved. I love hobbits as much as I love dwarves. Like I just I don't know if, we, if you if you have just like diminutive people. <laughs> in fantasy literature that's i'm all about it i want to be one i want to hang out with them i think they're great um and hobbits Mm -hmm. were like the the original because i loved the hobbit i love that book same i i love the hobbit more than i love lord same to be honest like i think the hobbit because it's a it's a lovely little self-contained narrative it tells a brilliant little story very simple values Uh, simple riddles in the dark is one of the greatest chapters in the english literature it's brilliant um and when I was a kid, I wanted to be a hobbit more than anything in the world. I I pride myself on the fact that I just grew up not wearing shoes because I thought if I didn't wear <laughs> shoes that I would become a hobbit eventually. I'm a hobbit. I wanted hair to grow on my feet and everything. Like, I just think it's great. Um, I got that wish. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky you. Lucky me. Um, yeah. And I especially love the way that their their lives are sort of shown in the books, the way that they're written about. Um, I love their homes. I love 
how Tolkien goes out of his way to say that a hobbit's home, their hole, is very neat and very tidy. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's how the series is introduced. Because he's saying... It's not a dirty, wet hole. Right. It's very clean. Why are the Harfoots so fucking gross? They're disgusting. They're filthy. Because they're not hobbits yet. They're caked in now, shit. They have filthy did you, hands. Did you, see the, did you see the theory that somebody pointed out? If you look at the wagon wheels on the Harfoot carriages, they're the doors from the shack. Fuck that. I hate it. I hate all of it so much <laughs> because they're not only but it's this, fucking but they're filthy. the source of the hobbits. This is where the hobbits. Oh come my from. god! Eventually, when they settle down, they're gonna go in their holes and they're gonna make them neat and. And they're gonna like get. They're gonna get cleaner and they're gonna get smarter too. Because right now they're <laughs> fucking stupid. <laughs> Sorry, I turned into a dwarf there for a second. Oh um, man, yeah, but no. Speaking now. of all dwarves are Scottish. All dwarves are Scottish, and all Harfoots and Hobbits eventually seem to be Irish, but they're not Irish. Irish. Yep. They're Irish. Nope. Where they're yeah, the worst it's, it's real... caricature of TV Irish accents that I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> it's pretty rough, man. It's hard to watch. Honestly, that's. When I was watching the first episode, it was the Harfoot section, the first Harfoot section. I was like, oh, no, <laughs> we're in trouble here, guys. And like, because it's the, the main Harfoot character is Nori. And she, like like our friend Bilbo, like eventually Frodo, she is a hobbit that is not. No, I'm sorry. She's a Harfoot. Oh, my God. You know what? They're fucking hobbits. <laughs> Weren't Harfoots just a type of hobbit? They're just a type of hobbit. There are like four different types of hobbits that J.R.R. Tolkien explains, and Harfoots were one type of. Hobbit. And they weren't. They aren't pro. They weren't. They dirty. aren't proto hobbits. They existed at the same. They time. weren't dirty and they weren't stupid. And they had nothing to do with the second age. No. Like literally nothing to do with the second age. But so the Harfoots in this are a migrant people, and I don't right? like and this so because they're 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 stupid. I mean, like they, they are, there's mm -hmm. a scene where one of them is like, you see, the problem with your wheel is that it's square. <laughs> That's why it doesn't work. It's like, oh, so that they're would dumb. would be a problem. Yes. Um, and not, not only that, like they're, they're making nomadic people look dirty and stupid. And that's yeah, nasty. Yeah, I mean, like you can't survive as a nomadic group without some sense of hygiene. Yeah. Right? Like. Because you sort of have accident. But apart from that, yes, you are 100% correct. So, so Nori, our Harfoot, in that first episode, she is seeing beyond their borders. <sighs> and, and she has a lie. I mean, I, I hear it in my head clear. <sighs> it's not exact at this point. But she's talking to her mom. And her mom's like, Nori, you need to stay home. Oh, where were you, girl? And sorry, I'm, I've gone Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> but um, <laughs> she's, she's just complaining that she's always off running around explore in the world and then nori looks at her and she's like but don't you wonder about what's outside mother don't you just ever think about the world and all the wonders that are out there don't you want to see them and it's and i just i guffawed i just went because <laughs> it's like that's the most on the nose character writing that you can possibly do right that's the kind of thing that you write that out and you say like okay I've identified a sort of core element of my character's outlook here. Now, how can I erase all of this and figure out a way to show, not tell? Right? Yeah. Like, 
How like that's like writing 101 is you roll that back and I say, oh, oops, I had a character say their motivation out loud. That's Disney that's songwriting. Not the best way to write. That's Little Mermaid being like, I Let want to where be the people part are. Of this world. <laughs> you know, like, whoa, man, like this is this written for four year olds? Is that what you're going for here? Like, I, well, it was just and it doesn't make I any sense. I couldn't believe it. It doesn't make yeah, any sense make that any she sense. wants to see the world when they're traveling people. That's they what they do, do see the world. You're seeing it That's right what now. They do. <laughs> yeah. Now, just because you see roughly the same parts of it every year as you rotate through these sections, which is what gets explained in season five, which I, I picked up on immediately. Most people probably did is that these really aren't nomads. They just move with the seasons to a place that's better for them to live in that season. That's it. Right. So, I mean, like they aren't truly just like wandering Middle Earth. They are moving from location to location to location in a set sequence in order to maximize the likelihood that they'll survive. They also they have a really strange. Philosophy on their their movement, I guess. I don't really know how else to say it, but they're kind of savage uh, because they keep repeating the refrain. We don't leave anyone behind. Nobody left Mm -hmm. behind. But then they have an entire like minutes long scene where they all sit around a fire and talk about the many people that they have left behind and the reasons they left them. And at one and point, episode they are four. laughing yeah. oh about one of the people who died oh, yeah. from a bee attack. <laughs> Old dumb Johnny and his bees. <laughs> well, you know, we all like, knew he'd whoa. die from something. Why not bees? <laughs> like, what the fuck? Yeah, for people that are like, we're all in this together. There certainly are like, leave them the fuck behind. That was wild. Like I would, it's, I would hate to break my leg like her, her dad. It does mm-hmm. because holy shit, you would you would be left to die. And they yeah, you, that's the point. I mean, like oh. in in episode five, you actually see like they get stuck in a bog and they're like trying to get their cart out of the bog, and you see all of the wrecked carts that didn't make it out of the bog. Yeah. And every one of them, I'm like, well, was that another family that you just left behind? Because like. I cannot imagine a, a nomadic tribe surviving. Like if, if you make this trip every year and every year entire families of your nomadic tribe die on that trip, there is no way that you can replenish the population fast no. enough to survive. Right? Like just in a mechanical sense, like babies don't grow that fast. So if you had a whole family die and you're like, well, I guess, you know, the Stevenson's over here are going to have to <laughs> pop out a couple of kids to keep the population ratio up. Even by the time you make that next year, they're just babies. They're not going to be able to make it. So it's, it's nonsensical. Whoever wrote it did no research into how nomadic tribes actually function and are just creating this tension that at any moment they could be left behind because that sets up the stranger. And I will be honest. I was ready to tap out of this show on the first episode until Meteor Man fell out of the fucking screen. Meteor, Meteor, I Meteor was, Man. I was done. I was like, I'm not even going to watch the second episode. I know people say the second episode's better. I'm not even going to watch it because that first episode was trash. And then the Meteor Man fell out of the sky. And I was like, well, shit. That's actually kind of interesting. Um, because, of course, Nori, or Harfoot, finds... Um, 
all of our characters in a way to sort of, I guess, link in time, everything that's happening, see this meteor fall out of the sky. The meteor falls, it crashes, and inside of it is a dude. And, of course, rampant speculation about who is dude. I originally hoped that, again, this was going to be an, a new character. No. Uh, because the wizards the wizards of the Second Age, well, there were none, right? The, all of the wizards that we know as wizards, so Gandalf, Saruman, the Blue Wizards, Radagast the Brown all come to Middle-earth at the beginning of the Third Age as a response of the Valar like trying to protect Middle-earth, supposedly, right? I don't know if that's what Tolkien seemed to indicate in his writings. So I was, I was hoping that it was going to be like a, a new wizard, because there are others, right? There are not other wizards, but there are other uh, Maiar, which is what Gandalf is, uh-huh. um, that you could send down. Like there's one like, like, like Tarantir or something like who was another like wielder of flame, the flame of Arundu. Like like, we've heard all these words before, but Peter Jackson didn't explain them. Right. Like, like, because it didn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's just cool things for them to say (laughs) for fans to be like, I know what that is. And so like, um, but I am, I am a hundred percent convinced now that Uh, it's scandal. Yeah. It's just, it's scandal. It's Gandalf in the Second Age, and they're going to make it that he forgets everything because we've already seen that happen when he changes from Gandalf the Great to Gandalf the White. I hate it. I I want to like it because I love Gandalf, and seeing Gandalf do cool magical things is always cool. I mean, I'm not going to be mad about it. But, but I hate why? it. Yeah, why does this have to be but Gandalf? Why? Why? Like, it just... It doesn't make any sense, but I know what they're doing. They're going to. They're, this is how they're going to explain why Gandalf loves, loves the hobbits so the Hobbit, much. Yeah. Is that he's got this history with them. And I wasn't sure about it. I was like, eh, you know, it still could be until in episode five, we get our first song. I hate it. <laughs> I just, I just, my, it's, I cringed out of my body into the next room, into the shower, because I had to wash it off of me. <laughs> because she specifically uses the line, or they use the line, that not all who wander are lost. Oh. Which, of course, is Gandalf's line to Bilbo in The Hobbit. It's perhaps one of the most famous lines from all of Tolkien's work. You've seen it on bumper stickers, on the On every stoner's t-shirt. <laughs> On the wheel covers on the back of some asshole's Jeep. Like, you've, you've seen it. It's everywhere. And they used that line. So now they're implying that Gandalf learned that line from these wee harfies on their journey across Middle Earth on their migration. <laughs> I just want to drown and all of these people. Every harfoot. It's rough, man. I will it's drown rough. each one of you in the bog. I like the actor that plays her dad. Um... He's he he's he's a very good actor. Uh, Dylan Smith is his name. He's he's not done a lot. He was in like the uh, Maze Runner movies. He was in a uh, Lemonade movie that came out a few years ago. Uh, that was pretty good. Just a real small little thing that I, I somehow saw. I'm not even sure. But I mean, he's been around. I, I, 
so the actors aren't bad, but what they're being asked to do is just terrible. It's bad. And it doesn't make sense, and it doesn't need to be this way. They could already be in their little hobbit holes and stuff. Like, maybe if they're, you know, if you really have to have this idea of the proto-hobbit, that's fine. But it's just, it doesn't, it's a nonsensical set of storylines. And this does the most disservice to some of the things that Tolkien was trying to express via the hobbits. Yeah. Because in, in the way that I have always read Lord of the Rings is that you look at all these different races, these different groups, the power that they want, the things that they're going for. The, the ideal that Tolkien pushes is the hobbit life. Yeah. A life of peace and quiet, and good food and friends and just it's it's again the idyllic country English life, right? You lurk the land, you live with your family, and you'd be happy. Yep. Period. Right? That's what the hobbits are supposed to be. Is the people who figured that shit out. And nobody and else did. That's why and did. they're able to to bear the burden of the ring. Precisely because that's the, why Frodo can do. Yeah, it. they're they're not tempted by great power because they already have a great life, and it's back home in the fucking Shire. That's right. That's I mean that's the ent- the entirety of Sam and Frodo's interactions on Mount Doom are the reminders that home exists, and that what they're doing is for home. Yeah. Right. Like is to keep that alive for all of the people they know and love. And it's just to see these Harfoots be these callous, cruel. I mean, and again, yeah, I know the Sackville Bagginses and, and whatever. whatever. Like, Those yes, people I, stole spoons and shit like that's different. Like right. it was not like them leaving Roto people to die. That's crazy. Roto didn't Bilbo didn't like them because they were thieves. Yeah. Right? Like they just. They just wanted what he had, and that's why he didn't like him. They weren't murdering people for it, right? Um, yeah, it's it's a weird miscalculation. That's probably the greatest miscalculation, because I think when they were laying out these storylines, I feel like they thought the Harfoots would be the slam dunk. Like, oh, people will just love No, they people. suck. But when that lady comes out at the beginning of episode five talking to, like, the leader or whatever, and she's like, eh, what are we going to do? Just leave them behind. And and then, like, of course, like, the strange, you know, they, the strangers brought all the dust upon us. Blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, dude, like, this is, you are, you are, you are killing these people to save yourself. And that is the antithesis of what this is supposed to be about. It's, it's horrible. Like, it's just, it's horrible. And, and I mean, not liking the stranger is not the same kind of dislike that the hobbits had for Gandalf. They didn't like Gandalf because he made noise. He was very noisy. He disrupted the peace. <laughs> He's a disruptor. He brought fireworks right. and they didn't like that unless it was a party and then it was fine. <laughs> yeah, then it was fine. It's it's a it's very strange um to see how weirdly it's been handled and they don't seem to be getting any better. Yeah. Um I don't like with it. it. Like it hasn't improved and getting to know them as characters more has not changed my feelings about it at all um like nori has a scene at the beginning of episode five where she's like trying to explain what death is to the stranger and what migration means and it's just 
it's a sweet enough scene, but yet like the, the crux of it comes when the stranger says like, I'm a peril, like I've killed things. So I'm dangerous. And that's like kind of beautiful. But then she like immediately puts it down. She's like, nah, 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 nah. You're, you're fine. You're fine. You want to help. You're a good person. But then later at the end of the episode, he's healing his arm with ice. <laughs> ice. Sure. Whatever. He, fire and ice, baby. Oh yeah. Um, and then she touches his arm in a stupid way and has her own hand frozen, not with any repercussions, but still. And now all of a sudden she does see him as a peril. And it's like, what is this? What is this? Like you, you just told us you don't see him as a peril because he wants to help. He's healing his arm in a pool. You tried to make him stop and then you got hurt. And now he's a peril because you were stupid. I don't get it. It makes no sense. Um, Simpleton. So, yes, and that's that was the thing that you had said when we first started talking about doing this episode was that they're not simple people. They're simpleton. Yeah. They're, they're stupid, right? Hobbits aren't stupid. That's kind of the point. That's why everybody, that's why they get away with the things they get away with in The Lord of the Rings is because everybody underestimates them. Yeah. Like that's the whole point is that everybody thinks they're incapable. And then at the end, the king bows to them. Like that's the point, right? So to have them be even in this prototypical form, this stupid is, is a, just a colossal error. It's just a mistake from top to bottom. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm probably going to finish the show out. Same. I've invested enough time. And and again, there is a piece of me that says it's a big budget, big budget Lord of the Ring thing that's out there that I can watch. And whether it's good or bad, that's still cool, I guess. <laughs> but 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 it's basically at the point where I just I kind of don't care. Yeah. Like I almost have no investment in what moves forward. Um, I'm watching for a couple of key things that I'm kind of curious about seeing how they handle, expecting them to handle it badly. Yeah. And, and that makes me really sad. And if they, if they, if they, if they fuck up Gandalf, like that's, and it certainly seems like they're on their way to doing so. <sighs> I just don't know what I'll do. Cause like, and that is a warning. <laughs> That's Jeff Bezos. I'm coming for you. <laughs> uh, but it's not because, but it's not because I'll be just like crushed. It's just, it'll be more like a, how could you mess this up? Yeah. Like the pieces for this are so clear for what makes this character work that if you can't get it, I don't understand how, like, how could you not? Um, so I guess it's worth mentioning that the show owners of the show are uh, one J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay. And I'm just going to throw this out. there. If the showrunners, at least for the first season, something may have changed in season two. I honestly don't know. But if the showrunners that you pick to steward your hundred million dollar Lord of the Rings television program. have not accomplished enough in their careers to warrant Wikipedia pages. Maybe look for some other people. Just some extra help. The television industry. 
the television industry is vast and there are tons of experienced, highly capable people out there who are available to run your program. Some of them may have worked on shows like Game of Thrones, shows that you obviously want desperately to sort of be seen in the same league mm-hmm. as. You, you, could, you could hire them. You could pay them money. You could exchange money for their services, uh, which is how most economies work. I, I would think Jeff Bezos understands this concept. And, and you could let them run your show. But in this case, we've got J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay, who... I don't know anything about these guys. I don't want to insult them. But all I know is that the only credit that they have on IMDb is as uncredited rewriters on Star Trek Beyond. <laughs> you know, the one that killed the series. Um, that was pretty good. Like, I like Star Trek Beyond. Don't get me wrong. It's a very good, like, it's, it's a, a very, very good, good like, original. It's a very good episode of Star <laughs> Trek that they expanded to 110 minutes. Like, well done, guys. Um, like, that movie is Simon Pegg's Star Trek spec script that he had. Like, I guarantee you that that's what that movie was. But so they did uncredited rewrites on that and apparently were in production or in some capacity at J.J. Abrams' Bad Robot Studios. That's it. That's all these dudes have done. And they were handed the keys to one of the greatest mythologies. I'll call it a mythology and at this point. At the same time, Peter Jackson made Brain Dead. And was so, given similar yeah. keys. However, no one cared about the Lord of the Rings when that happened. Just because I'm sort of anticipating that someone might be listening out there, someone, mm-hmm. and say Peter like, Jackson well, Peter Jackson was a nobody. Record. You're absolutely right. He was a nobody. Mm-hmm. But it was not the franchise opportunity that it is now. And it's surprising no. that they would hand it over to to. Relative newcomers, nobodies. Yeah, novices. Hmm. Yeah. Um, the only thing I'll push back with on the Peter Jackson thing, because that is a fair point. It really is. And and there were people at the time who were like, who the hell is this guy to adapt? Made Lord. brain dead. And <laughs> you I mean, and, watch it. <laughs> but he had made The Fright. Yeah. Which we have talked about on this. But series. a lot of people did not watch that movie either. <laughs> they didn't. But the reason why when that news broke... I saw the Frighteners and I was like, oh, this dude, this dude's going to kill this because Frighteners is a great fucking movie. Um, but yes, I, I, I agree with that. I think sometimes people with baggage when it comes to production. Sure. Yeah. Maybe it's best to go with somebody fresh who doesn't have that kind of like legwork. I get that. But, but this is a big deal yeah. now. This isn't this isn't the late 90s anymore. No. And and it's. Again, smaller budget, smaller um, story, <laughs> smaller story in a lot of ways. I mean, Lord of the Rings compared to the story they're trying to tell here and all of the different places they've gone and the characters they've got to maintain. Lord of the Rings is a tiny story compared to this. So it's. It's it's a it's a rough one. This is rough. This is a rough watch for me. Right. Like I'm I'm struggling here. To, to deal with what I'm being presented with because every episode in, in my heart, as I begin it, I'm like, maybe this one, right? Maybe this episode is going to be like the one where I'm like, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah. Peter. Yeah. I got you. You got, you did it. Patrick McKay and JD Payne. Yeah. 
Um, but at that hope, like the light of Valinor, is beginning to dim. Pretty it's hard. fading. Uh, it's fading. The like the elves moving to the to the west to the Grey Havens to depart. Uh, it's it's fading because unless when they start colliding these characters with each other, they start to deform in more interesting ways than we're currently being shown. I cannot imagine this series three seasons from now. I just can't. I, I cannot imagine what they will be doing that I would find interesting. Again, I'm more than happy to be wrong. If anything, I would prefer it. But I don't know. Probably won't it's, be. It's a rough one. Probably won't be. Because it's the old adage, man. Throwing money at the problem doesn't solve the problem. Not every time. It can solve some problems, right? It can deal with some issues. But at the end of the day, if your scripts are bad, the writing's bad, it doesn't matter how pretty the throne the it doesn't matter how pretty the throne room they're sitting in as they talk is. If they don't have anything interesting to say, it's still gonna suck. And you know, we haven't delved into the dialogue in this series, but it's atrocious. Yeah. In most circumstances. Like just bewilderingly bad. It's someone who's trying desperately to get that sort of like high affected speech that Boyens and Jackson and Fran Walsh were able to to hit in Lord of the Rings, right? That sort of elevated speech. But every time this series tries to go like philosophical. It's, I mean, as you said, it just starts huffing its own farts real quick. And it's obvious. Like, it's anybody listening to it with an ear for dialogue is going to look at this and be like, this, none of this works. Yeah. None of those, none of those words mean anything when in that arrangement. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It just doesn't work. All right. So, any final thoughts on uh, Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, halfway through season one, post episode five? Final I'm going to get through we'll season revisit, one, but, but I'm not going to be able to do it without alcohol. Mm, yes. Alcohol at the rate. Yeah. Definitely good choice. Um, I, I'm kind of in the same boat. I, I invested enough in two or three of the storylines that I'm curious to at least see where they go. Just where they intend to take them. But beyond that, there is very little bringing me back to the show. Yeah. Week after week at this point. If it was bingeable and I could just run through it, I would have done that by now and probably forgotten about it. But the fact that it's weekly release, it kind of forces me to kind of come back to it and revisit it. And and I, I plan to do that for the remainder of it. Um, but man, it's it's getting rough. It's getting real hard to, to keep going. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a rough one. It's rough out there in, in the Middle Earth kitties. <laughs> Right? There's a lot of orcs chopping down all your trees instead of going around them when it would be easier. Uh, there's a lot of elves just kind of walking around without much to do, but still very upset about things. Uh, and then you got, you know, Galadriel, one of the greatest elves in the history of elves, just uh, kicking down doors, demanding things, <laughs> punching people. Living that asshole fighting, life. Living that asshole life. Just... But then eventually we'll become one of the you know great lords of the elves and, and worthy of a ring of power and stuff. So, you know, it, it, it'll be fine. It'll all work out, I guess. Uh, which that's the other thing, man. 
who in their right mind would give rings of power to Elrond and Galadriel at this point? <laughs> yeah. How are they going to work like, that if out? <laughs> if Sauron's got his plan to like gift his rings to the elves to control them, Elrond and Galadriel are nobodies at this point. And no one seems Literal to trust nobody. them very much. No, no. And maybe that's part of it. Maybe he will see their potential. And I will give you what you need to rise. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, so Rings of Power, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty bad. It's, it's, it's pretty bad. Um, yeah, unfortunate, super unfortunate. But if somebody wants to find you on Twitter and tell you how, uh, just how, how wrong you are, because Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power is actually one of the greatest pieces of filmed entertainment ever. You can find me uh, at Baskinator on Twitter, where I frequently post pictures of me gluing fake hair to my feet, because uh, I want to be a hobbit. <laughs> That's right. We all want to be hobbits. Um, and of course, if you want to yell at me about my feelings about Lord of the Rings and how the dialogue is not just the writers huffing their own farts over and over and over again, you can find me at T Baskin on Twitter, and uh, and we can chat about our. Feelings. Would love. To. Uh, if you want to get us. With you, we'd love to. It'd be great. Uh, you can get me at F. Uh, you can get us together at F Peace Theater on Twitter, or you can email us at failurepiece at gmail dot com. So um, after this little fun TV break, we shall be back uh, in the near future with another discussion of a failure piece of you know piece of filmed entertainment of some kind that might still be worth your time, even though it's not perfect. Uh, a failure piece, if you will. Uh, so we'll be back to discuss more, and we will likely revisit Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, when the season comes to its inevitable and highly anticipated conclusion. And we will have many more complaints. Many, many <laughs> more complaints. Perhaps even another two and a half hours <laughs> of complaints. But we'll be back, and we'll see you then. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.